1: may be forgiven for my transgressions. May the force be with you! This is the way. There's something
0: dangerous happening out there. And by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late. Now, this series is created by John Favreau, and it's starring Pedro Pascal and Katie Sackoff. So The Mandalorian is a show we've talked a lot about on this on this podcast. We reviewed most of the episodes from season two, if I'm not mistaken, but it's been over two years since we've seen The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Now, famously, if you've checked out the book of Boba Fett also on Disney Plus, the Mandalorian character did pop up about halfway through that season of that original series, but in terms again of the Mandalorian story as an isolated story it's been a long time a long layoff in between seasons and it's been quite a while since we've been ingrained into this world and so there was a lot of anticipation coming back into the Mandalorian especially with just the state of Star Wars and where things are right now coming off of what we saw last year with I think an excellent excellent series the best Star Wars material we've probably gotten in 40 years with Andor and then you couple that with probably something that was disappointing for a lot of fans in Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I know there were a lot of high hopes about. The state of Star Wars is forever in flux, and it's forever changing, and sometimes it feels a little inconsistent as to whether or not we can be excited, but the Mandalorian has largely been beloved. It's largely been one of those things that's been embraced by Star Wars fandom, most most notably because of Baby Grogu, Baby Yoda. He is just one of the most cute, adorable things that's ever been created and also one of the biggest cash printers for Disney that they probably have ever created. But (laughs) now the Mandalorian has returned. We've gotten the first two episodes, we're going to do maybe some light spoilers, but I think we're going to talk generally about what we've seen so far out of the season. And we'll be back to talk about the Mandalorian as it progresses for season three. But I just want to start here and just ask you how you feel about the Mandalorian returning. It has been over two years, how how are you feeling to sort of be reintroduced to this world and become, you know, sort of refamiliarized with these characters again?
1: Man, I missed it. I always love the opportunity, I think, to continuously be embedded in in Star Wars lore. I think it's one of those things where in recent years, for better and for worse, they've been trying to keep us, I think, uh, fed and fueled with Star Wars content. Um, and I say for better or for worse, right, because Boba Fett is... Eh, Obi-Wan was eh you know what I mean but I I, I I think I do like the attempt for them to at least be like look we're going to give y'all some Star Wars man and in constantly Um, so I'm excited to see the Mandalorian back to me this was like a, when we first started to talk about the first season when we first started about the second season it was one of those TV shows that I felt like I could look, to, look forward to week to week and get something out of it you know there are some TV shows we watch and it's like that episode was disappointing. This episode was like this, but some Mandalorian was pretty consistent across the board, right? We knew what we were buying into every episode. It's literally a western shot in space. Every episode has its own adventure. Baby Grogu's here. Pedro Pascal is here, which I have to mention, they loved him at the Oscars when he was on stage, man. Somebody made a, a comment that was like, either you see him on HBO or you see him on Disney+. Plus. He got two TV shows on at the same time. Everyone, like, platform and stuff, but this is, this is a show, man, where, again, you just knew what you were getting, I think, yourself into, and it made it an easy watch from week to week. So I'm actually very excited that it's back. It is a, a piece of Star Wars, again, that I know what I'm getting to into whenever I watch it. I know I'm going to see Brady Gogru, in, 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 uh, and I know I'm going to see Pedro Pascal show up as a Mandalorian. I know I'm going to get an adventure out of it. It is what it is, so I love that it's back. Um, and yeah, man, it's been it's, it's it's been cool so far. Like it it is what it is. There's some some cool things in episode one that I I, I really enjoyed um, some some aspects of it. But it really just feels like it's one of those shows that feel like we're returned to form. Um, and there are some new things that they're doing that I appreciate. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to see how the rest of the season goes, man. It's fine so far. Nothing too crazy has happened. But it's 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 yeah. It's to me as of right now. It is the most consistent Star Wars that we're getting.
0: I think in recent years, especially with this Disney-Lucasfilm era, The Mandalorian is representing kind of the Star Wars property that has maybe the most widespread appeal because when you are introduced into this world, you don't really have to know anything about Star Wars. You can come in pretty cold. You don't have to see... Any of the other movies any of the shows you don't have to play video games to really just become invested into the story of course obviously that stuff will help enrich the experience and they do start to dive in deeper into the lore as the story mm-hmm. progresses especially with season two where it might be useful to know like well where did that person come from or why are they important but i think at the end of at the end of the day if you don't have any sort of previness to star wars if you don't have an association with that franchise at large you could totally enjoy The Mandalorian by itself for what it is, and I think that that's been kind of its key selling point. That 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 what that's what makes it different because it can serve as so many different types of people and eventually fans. And you don't have to be a diehard Star Wars you know follower to understand like. Well, why mm-hmm. is Baby Grogu so important, or you know, what what's up with this Mandalorian tribe? Why why do they have to keep their helmets on? It does a really good job at keeping things simple, at explaining those those things within the story and within the context of of each individual episode. And I think that that's why it's been so successful. And then you know, again, just to go back to the obviousness of it, you you add in the the cutest creation maybe in Star Wars history with <laughs> Grogu, and you have just instantly something that people can fall in love with. You have that that tie to other Star Wars history and other Star Wars properties, but it is still something new that people can just say like, oh my God, what is this? Like, why is that mm-hmm. so cute and adorable? I want it on everything. I want a, I want a, a pop of it. I want a book bag of it. I want a laptop case of, of Grogu. You you just want everything possible. It's literally the best potential case, I think, of a, of a new series that you could create off of a very well-established, probably the most well-established and well-known IP in Hollywood history and so coming back here with season three, you certainly just expect them to stay consistent and to stay true with what they've established with the Mandalorian. I think that the Book of Boba Fett last year presented some interesting challenges for the world of what the Mandalorian has created because the Book of Boba Fett at the end of the day is a spinoff of the Mandalorian, even though mm-hmm. Boba Fett is kind of the original Mandalorian, but they somehow were, were able to reintroduce that character to to new audiences and, and spin that show off. But I think, I think there've been some challenges with the layoff And with the fact that The Mandalorian had such a presence in The Book of Boba Fett, I might be overstating it because I don't think as many people watch The Book of Boba Fett as are watching The Mandalorian. But it is interesting to note that for something that started so simple has now become a little bit more ingrained into the idea of interconnectedness and a shared universe, right? And I think The Mandalorian sort of Star Wars shared universe has become a thing over the past couple of years. We're also going to get Ahsoka later this year, which is another Mm -hmm. Mandalorian spinoff. Last year, when we talked about the book of Boba Fett, I don't think anybody expected that halfway through the final two or three episodes were going to be completely focused on the Mandalorian character. Like there was one mm-hmm. entire episode where we did not see Boba Fett at all. And there was some very, very key developments that happened with that character to get us to where we are now. Now, if you kept up with season two, you noticed that at the end of season two, it was a very pivotal episode. Luke Skywalker came back. And Din Djarin and Grogu split up because Grogu was going to go off with Luke and do some training. In the Book of Boba Fett, we saw Grogu essentially training with Luke Skywalker, really honing in on his abilities to, 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 to master the Force. But then by the end of that series, he decided to make the choice to return with Din Djarin, which would ultimately lead us into the Season 3 of The Mandalorian, where they would just continue on their, on their same adventures. I want to ask about that, though, because... For me, at the time of The Mandalorian Season 2, when it ended, it felt like by the end of that, we had gotten two seasons of Din Djarin and Grogu. And it mm-hmm. felt like that by the end of that show, or at least the end of that season, they were going to change up the status quo, do something a little bit different. Maybe maybe Grogu and Din Djarin are going to be separated for most of Season 3, and then they find their way back to each other maybe at the end of that story. But with The Book of Boba Fett, something that was sort of sandwiched in between, they reverted back to the status quo. They got Grogu essentially back to Din Djarin. And you didn't have to watch The Book of Boba Fett to figure that out. You could have just maybe assumed it. But it is one of those weird things that they didn't call back to in the previously on Mm -hmm. at the top of season three. They did not reference the events of The Book of Boba Fett, which I found to be Mm -hmm. a weird decision. I just want to ask you, you know, what do you think about the connectedness, but also kind of the retconning of just everything we've seen out of those two shows? Because they went one direction. They sort of took it back. And now, you know, when you pick up with season three. If you didn't watch the Book of Boba Fett, you're wondering, well, how did Grogu get back with Din Djarin? They didn't show us that. I don't know how to. I don't know how to follow this. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, part of me does believe that's in some way bad. I don't know if planning is the word, but it's bad. I don't know, connectiveness, continuity, uh, because continuity, because you you simply as a production company with a franchise cannot assume that everybody watching the mandalorian is watching the book of boba fett just something that shouldn't be it shouldn't be a thing you can't assume that and they very much i think do that in the decision to make those last couple episodes so heavily focused on the mandalorian of the book of boba fett they really do it's like I I think for again normal Star Wars fans, right? Who we just watch freaking everything. It doesn't matter. But you we you literally just talked about the Mandalorian as a TV show where anybody can pick it up. You do, you don't have to see the last thing. And here they almost went out of their way to create a scenario in which that's not a hundred percent true <laughs> in the book of Boba Fett. And so I think I think that was messy, um, and and for a couple different reasons. But man, I I if you're to your point, part two of that, if you're gonna do that, it should absolutely most definitely be in the Previously On. There is no, in fact, it should probably be the thing you focus on the most in the Previously On. It's just a Previously On the Book of Boba Fett, as it pertains to The Mandalorian or something. You know, it's just say something. Because if I'm watching in the end of season two of The Mandalorian, I'm like, dang, they broke up. And then, because now, imagine you pick up The Mandalorian and didn't watch The Book of Boba Fett. You're like, how the hell did these two characters end up back together? Now you got to figure it out. Now you got to go watch this episode of Book of Boba Fett, which you didn't plan to do, which is funny because it's like the best parts of the TV show. (laughs) Low key was those Mandalorian episodes. And now you got to go back, watch those, and then come back to season one or episode one of season three of The Mandalorian. It's too much going on. Um, And so there's two things there. One, if you're going to do it, or one, it probably shouldn't be done in the first place. You can't make them like special Mandalorian episodes or something. Don't just make put it in the Book of Boba Fett. First thing. Second thing, if you're going to try to retcon it and bring it back, explain that. Say previously on the Book of Boba Fett. They don't do that. They should probably do that. Put it somewhere. What's Even if you don't put it on the previous... Put like a statement, I don't know, do something, help out your viewer, hold the viewer's hand to where they need to go. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And they just didn't do that. Um, and, And it's something they should be doing.
0: Yeah, because now two episodes in, they still have not addressed that. And I think that that's just one of the problems where it just doesn't it just doesn't really make sense. It's like, okay, if they wanted to take the book of Boba Fett in that direction to further advance the story of Din Djarin before we get to the Mandalorian season three. Fine. That's not unprecedented territory. We've seen it in other shows occur before. But to just not call back to that moment at the top of season three of The Mandalorian, to not just have the title screen say previously on The Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett. It's just a simple fix that they just chose not to do. I don't know. maybe, Maybe they don't want to call attention to a show that people didn't like perhaps that's it I don't, I don't get it i don't know but it's, it's a weird choice nonetheless for a show that has often been steeped with hey you don't have to have that much baggage to come in and enjoy this you can just kind of show up whenever and you'll mm-hmm. find enjoyment out of it because it is a very simple story it follows a formula for the most part and there's just a few key elements that will make you just like want to keep tapping into it and so i think that they just kind of abandoned the things that have already worked for the mandalorian for you know almost three years at this point now but speaking of formula one other thing that i do want to address about the mandalorian It has been a story of Formula where I think the first two seasons, we've often seen a lot of scenarios where Din Djarin, played by Pedro Pascal, has to rescue Grogu. He's often finding himself in perilous situations because Grogu, at the end of the day, is a baby. Even though in his species, he's 53 years old, which, you know, I'm looking at myself at 53 years old, I'm like, I'm I'm an old-ass man. But for his species, 53 is super, super young, so he's still a little baby. So Mm -hmm. Grogu ends up in some really shitty situations sometimes. He's doing some things he should not be doing. And Dinjarin has to rescue him a lot. He has to, you know, typically go out of his way. They're on a mission, and he has to figure out a way to rescue Grogu from some sort of monstrous figure or some sort of weird alien creature. But I find that at the top of the season, it feels like we are starting to switch gears with the story, which I think is a good thing at the at the, at the end of the day. But we're focusing more on the the journey of Dinjarin because with those sort of special episodes within the book of Boba Fett, we found out. That he's been exiled from his Mandalorian tribe because he removed his mask, which occurred in the Mandalorian season two. And so now mm-hmm. he's being outcast because that is absolutely forbidden. You cannot remove your mask. And what we're finding here in the story of the Mandalorian season three is him going on what feels like some sort of a spiritual journey to sort of yeah. reconcile that fact, to 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 amend mm-hmm. the fact or to uh to yeah, to reconcile the fact that he he did something that was forbidden and now he has to, you know, basically appease any Mandalorian, you know, that's willing to hear his case out to make sure that he can, you know, still maintain his status as a Mandalorian, and so we touch on that in, in episode one, see, episode two of season three. We see him actually go to Mandalore to look for the Living Waters, which essentially, if he can bathe in the Living Waters, he can, you know, start the process of be of being accepted back. But what do you think about just switching gears there to, to the fact that it seems like it might not be so much of a of a situation where. Din Djarin is rescuing Grogu every single week and, and ultimately raising him as, as, his, as his protector and now sort of a fatherly figure and it's now sort of focusing more so on what Din Djarin has to do, the fact that he has to go through a very elaborate process essentially to, 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 to gain back what essentially is his birthright, something that was given to him at a very, very young age and he's going to pretty much be willing to do whatever it takes to be accepted back into his tribe.
1: I think something important to note um, again in those 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 final episodes of the Book of Boba Fett that happened, as again pertaining to the Mandalorian is the growth that Grogu has had since. Grogu was no longer the child that is completely helpless anymore, right? He now understands at least to some degree his force sensitivity he at least now has the ability to use that <laughs> in 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 certain moments and certain ways we see him already kind of using it for not so good things like grabbing cookies or something ridiculous right but not only i think i think that helps moving into the future because he isn't as helpless as he used to be he has also grown and so i like the idea that jin jarn doesn't always have to be like, all right, Grogu time to go save him. Where there's some moments, I think, which we'll even see more throughout the season, where he can save himself, where Goku can save himself. Use the Force, bro. Get out of it. You know what I mean. Figure it out, because that is the training that he has went through for. It was a short period of time, but that he went through 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 a period of time, and I think that's that should be noted in the way that the show is structured, and I'm hoping that is one of the reasons they're moving away from that right then from every episode, him being saved because now there are, there's opportunity for him to save himself. Not only that, but of course there's the obvious where it's like, that gets exhausting after a while. (laughs) We can't just see him continuously get saved every week. I think it works for a long period of time, but I think when you enter a period for a character's training arc or character development, there should be something that comes out of that. And I think, um, you know, them moving into more, Uh, uh, Mando can now go on this journey with Grogu versus Mando going on this journey to protect Grogu or, you know what I mean? Or Grogu having, uh, having to be under his wing and things like that. So I think it makes sense um, the way they're going about it. I like it um, again, because you can't keep doing that every week where Grogu's in trouble. and like, Oh, got to go save the child. But now I think you can have a, a, a little bit more adventures of camaraderie. Before we had adventures where, Jen Jarn is the protector now it's time to move on now he has he's still a child don't get me wrong but now he, ha- he has a partner who has been a, has has had a little bit of training who can maybe enter these uh, uh, these situations with him versus being um, a damsel <laughs> in distress per se or or the kid that's 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 in trouble so I, I like the decision
0: yeah ap- apparently so that training was actually a long time which they did not point to this in the storytelling but Jon Favreau Revealed that Grogu was allegedly training with Luke for two years. Which, my God, where did that come from? I, but he, two he years. Said, he <laughs> said that in an interview that he was training for two years, and so by the time Mando reaches him, it's like, yo, he is supposed to be experienced and like ready to go, as as, as you were alluding to that. Yes, he's still a baby and still an infant, but he's definitely progressed mm-hmm. and evolved over time. And so, I think a lot of what we saw in episode two—the fact that like Grogu has to now become sort of the rescuer, the protector—that's exactly. like the focus of what happens in episode two. He has to, he has to, you know, sort of use that that training that he's accumulated over the course of those two years and and put it into mm-hmm. action. Um, one last quick thing I want to talk about before we wrap up here is the presence of Bo-Katan, and I think the f- the fact that mm. she feels like she's going to be even more integral this season than she has been before, sort of alluding to the fact of what we just said that I do think that the formula of the show is starting to change. It's becoming much less about the fact that, like, Mando has to figure out how to escape a situation with Grogu and make sure he's protected, and it's going to be more so about the history of the Mandalorians and what they represent in this just, just this world. And Katie Sackhoff, interestingly enough, has a co credit on this show alongside Pedro Pascal. Now that did not used to be the case, and so I think her presence mm-hmm. here is going to absolutely be something that they focus and hone in on, especially after Episode Two. She is certainly you know taking charge of being you know s- s- certainly at the forefront of the story in terms of. Her relationship to the history of the Mandalorians and what they represented and just like her family history and lineage, the fact that she comes from royalty. What do you, you know, sort of foresee with her character? What are you excited about potentially? Because I find it, I find it fascinating that, you know, Bo Katan is, is a character that was created for animation. You know, she premiered in the yes. Clone Wars and now coming mm-hmm. into live action is gonna have just such a, it seems like such a very, very important role in just the storytelling of what's gonna happen, especially considering her and Den. Just have different ideologies all about this Mandalorian shit. We, we, we see them clash and butt heads all the time. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to, to seeing out of their relationship?
1: Uh, one, I'm just excited to see Bo-Katan at all. The fact that she's in the show. Again, we've seen her, I think it was season two It was the first time we seen her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember being excited that I, I just really love when animated characters that I know come to, you know, into the Mandalorian because um, I think Ahsoka is going to kind of go through the same thing where we're like, this girl was created for animation. What are you going to do in this real world? And I think we're seeing that thing with Bo-Katan um, in real time as well. And I think their relationship is, it's very warranted for me personally because we haven't had a consistent female lead. Ahsoka was in like one episode, you know what I mean? We have we have yet to really see a consistent female lead in the show. And I think Bo-Katan can not only provide us that, but now, the way she's beginning to be embedded here, she is going to be the consistent, the most consistent thing in the Star Wars universe, knowing where she comes from, from the animation world. This is like Dave Filoni's chance to be like, this is how it's all connected. In fact, later down the line, shoot, Bo-Katan and Ahsoka have a whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot that that can be done there. There's a lot that I think is going to be done. Um, but I love that Bo-Katan can be somewhat the person that shakes up our Mandalorian right he can be the person that shakes up Jin Jarn a little bit like you said they're very different Jin Jarn isn't like the most out of there extrovert (laughs) kind of guy in the world you know what I'm saying but Bo-Katan she really she's a leader and I think she's going to bring some of those things out of Jin Jarn whether they agree on something or don't agree on something or whichever way it goes in order uh uh to get uh, to, to progress the story <laughs> at the end of the day so I think she's a very good addition here I hope we continue to see more of her even when we, I seen her episode one just pop up I was like oh shoot Bo-Katan's here <laughs> you know kind of type thing and so uh, uh I, I welcome um everything they're doing with Bo-Katan right now
0: yeah they, they they're they're two characters are both at very different places you know Mando is is sort of in a phase of rehabilitation you know trying to achieve his former glory because he's been sort of disgraced and exiled but then Bo-Katan what I'm experiencing from her character a lot of the emotions feel like she's in mourning almost you know she feels very just I think apathetic to everything that's happening like she's sitting in that throne room but like what is she doing she doesn't really have anything to do she just sits there you know because her home world is not what it used to be and when when they visit Mandalore in in episode two I mean you could just look and tell she is very distraught at the sight of it. It, it it's not it's not in the state of its former glory at all. And Mm -hmm. she used to see it very much like how it used to be. It kind of reminded me of weirdly enough, like from Marvel, when Thanos mm. went back to Titan on in, in Infinity yeah. War, and he just like looked on his homeworld and he was like, This place used to be it used to be incredible. It used to be thriving. And now look at it. You know, it's 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 desolate. Yeah. And and that's kind of where she's at with her character. So I just can't wait to see how that that conflict continues to bubble up between her and Din Djarin because they're gonna butt heads more, but they're also gonna have to rely on each other because they kind of need each other exactly. at this particular point. So it'll mm-hmm. be very, very interesting to see. But folks, Those are our thoughts on the first two episodes of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. If you've checked out the first two episodes, hit us up and let us know what you think, and we will definitely be back to talk about this season as it progresses.
1: Don't worry. I grew up flying these cliffs. Of course, it's been a while.
0: And with that being said, we're going to transition and talk about our final TV series as we can catch up with the two most recent episodes of The Mandalorian currently streaming on Disney+. We, of course, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the first two episodes that recently premiered. The Mandalorian has been away for about two and a half years now and has come back with Season 3 on Disney+. Plus, I think both of us pretty much enjoyed the first two episodes as a setup, as a way to just reintroduce mm-hmm. us to the characters. We talked a lot about just the structure of the show and where they were heading and just the, the changes in the formula. And I got to say, I think these two, these two recent episodes certainly changed the status quo up quite a lot with The Mandalorian yeah. and what we were used to. But before we talk about the details and before we get into spoilers and talk more in depth about... Episodes three and four of The Mandalorian. Just generally, what were your big picture thoughts and overall feelings about what we recently saw out of this series?
1: Man, I like these past two episodes, man. You know, you say they switch up the formula a little bit. It's not always for the better in every TV show. Just because they switch up a formula, you know, I want to make that known. But a lot of times, there is something to it, and if you have a reason for it, it usually works well. And I think it works well here. I think what they're trying to do um, in in telling these stories is important, and I think it, it switches up things for the matter man. I very I enjoyed them uh and it's kind of cool I think coming into this. Like you said those first two episodes did feel like set up. you know what I'm saying? Bo-Katan got her helmet on <laughs> and uh, and everything's going on and so now we're here in a place where it's like okay, what else does what else what else does Star Wars have to give us? That's going to shake it up a little bit. And thankfully, chapter 19, episode 3 of the season shakes it up and gives us Uh, uh, a look into something not so bright (laughs) or or that can that can be scary I think for for the Star Wars universe an examination I think that's one of my favorite things with Andor with now this episode 19 of uh, or chapter 19 of the Mandalorian is examining the powers at play and is everybody really as good as they say they are and that's like been like one of my favorite things again to explore with these last couple uh star wars projects man and we get that um here there's also some stuff in chapter 20 i really really like uh that we'll also get to but i think that's another really cool episode that explains um yeah what girl good was going through man so yeah two episodes that i enjoyed i was happy to watch both of them one random thing that I'll add that I'm sure I've talked about a lot of times. Wick Gorenson, man. I, something about this damn Mandalorian theme that every time I hear it, it becomes more and more my favorite. Like, you know, like when, you, when we used to watch TV shows and we we're always excited to hear the opening of a show, that doesn't happen a lot anymore. We don't get a lot of superheroes that you know what i'm saying we don't get a lot of those anymore but something about the opening of mandalorian the bum 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 that is just i don't know it's, it, it makes me feel like oh shoot my weekly show is on And a lot of shows haven't done that recently man so i appreciate that as well
0: it doesn't help that every streaming platform encourages you to skip intros and skip themes and skip credits i hate that shit listen it's to the stuff it's great music but overall with these two episodes i really liked Episode three, just because of how different it was, just changing Mm. up the pace and doing something that is still yet to be revealed. There's a lot to still find out about just the direction and how it's going to impact everything that they're trying to do with this season. Episode four, which reverted back to what we've been accustomed to, I wasn't as much of a fan of. There are some things in it that I liked and that I enjoyed. I did find that the momentum of just the whole series up until this point, especially with season three just seems to be in a bit of a weird place like we're four Mm -hmm. episodes in which means we're halfway through this first season that the mandalorian notoriously does not have a lot of episodes and the episodes are not that long it's a very straightforward adventure and now we're halfway through this series and i'm just wondering okay what's really the point of this story like there are certain beats that we've tapped into certain things that we're exploring and touching upon and maybe revisiting every episode but i don't i don't get the The feeling necessarily that there's an overarching or a looming presence or a looming threat or a bigger story at play necessarily. It feels it feels almost a little mundane at times. And I'm just kind of Mm. wondering, like, well, well, what are we doing here? Like, where's the narrative thrust? Where's the forward momentum? And so I think that, uh, you know, now with episode four, my patience is kind of wearing a little bit thin. That could all be restored with episode five. They could totally win me back. That is very possible. This series has done that before, and I've been vocal about how sometimes certain episodes, they just don't Mm -hmm. feel like they go anywhere or do anything, and I'm just like, okay, we're just doing another rescue mission again, but they could, uh, again, they can rectify that very soon here. We'll just have to wait and see what the remaining four episodes that we'll get, but let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about spoilers. If you've not seen episodes three and four, or even episodes one and two of season three of The Mandalorian, this is your official spoiler warning. Go watch that stuff and come back and listen to the rest of our conversation Before we talk about the actual events of these episodes, though, I do want to bring something up. And it's the fact that apparently viewership for season three is lower than it's ever been compared to previous Mandalorian seasons. And most notably Samba TV, which tracks the viewership amongst certain a certain amount of households. I think that they they track viewership in 25 million households. They utilize All the smart TV technology to track, you know, who's watching what, how long they watched it. They just recently published data and they estimated that the season three premiere of The Mandalorian was just watched by under 1.5 million households. Again, it's important to note this is not the complete story. This is just one source. There are many different rating sources that pull watch time and viewership, but this is one source that's pulling these numbers, Samba TV. So 1.5 million households watched the season premiere the book of Boba Fett had two percent higher viewership. They just had over one point five million viewers, but Obi Wan Kenobi almost smashed the premiere of the the, the season three premiere of The Mandalorian. This, the premiere of Obi Wan Kenobi had two point one four million households watch that premiere. So things are trending down for Star Wars series so far. What do you think about that? And have you noticed that The Mandalorian? doesn't necessarily seem as much of appointment viewing as it may be used to because it kind of feels like i don't know if you feel this way but it kind of feels like it's getting lost in the conversation it doesn't feel like the biggest thing right now because i think in previous Mm -hmm. seasons the mandalorian felt like a phenomenon it felt like everybody was talking about it everybody was watching it people were staying up to ridiculous hours in the morning to to watch it when it premiered and they were making their recap videos 20 minutes later it doesn't necessarily feel like that anymore or am i just tripping and people are just you know maybe catching up with it later
1: No, it it, it definitely feels like that. Um, It could be for, you know, any X number of reasons. One, I wonder if people specifically like super mega Star Wars fans, right? I wonder if they're feeling any kind of. Maybe like baby Grogu fatigue, right? Young Grogu fatigue where they just feel like it's just Mando and Grogu on adventures. Maybe a lot of people are tired of that Um, because it is still what the show is, right? It really is still them on their adventures and in. But I, I wonder if that has anything to do with, again, just how often um, we're seeing that. Of, of course, Obi-Wan is going to have a crazy opening. Ewan McGregor as the character is, you know, way more notorious than The Mandalorian ever was. But I think that is an important indicator of what people are interested in as well when it comes to these things. And my, uh, uh I, I'm curious is what I'm curious of is. Of course, outside Andor did this so well, right? But I wonder if there's now like a, I don't know, a feeling. I wonder if people are missing the Jedi. That's what I wonder. I wonder if that's a thing. Like, I wonder is, because of course there's a lot of our favorites, right? There's a lot of the reason why we, I can't wait to see a Jedi at the time. It just is what it is. That's part of the reason, or Sith. You know what I mean? Or Sith. And Mando, we know we're really not going to get that alive. And I, I can imagine, uh, again, a Star Wars fan who is waiting for those things and you don't get it. Of course, again, there's more stories to be told outside of Jedi and Sith and all that. But I think there could also be fatigue there. I think there could also be like, all right, what else? That that's one of the things that can put the fuel in some engine. Like, oh, shoot, there goes the Jedi. Let everybody, let's hop back on this thing and watch it. And so I'm wondering if we're losing that a little bit in every, every Mando episode that comes out. It's like, oh, man. whatever. I, and I think... To your point of the show kind of, I think, losing, you know, maybe a little bit of steam for you and not enough what's going on. I think that could be part of it too. Like, what is the thing? What is the, what's at stake right now? You know what I'm saying? What is, what are we chasing in terms of a story arc, a character arc in this season of The Mandalorian? I'm wondering if people see that and are uninterested in that. Not only that, I think it's also hard to talk about Mandalorian in the conversation with all of the other great shows we've been talking about recently. I think it is. It's just very, it's a very difficult thing to do. We can love The Mandalorian, but there's The Last of Us. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can love The Mandalorian, but the the hold The Last of Us has on people, the hold that, uh uh what's another good show we want? The hold The Succession even <laughs> is going to have on people. You know what I'm saying? It's just very interesting. I think uh The Mandalorian, yeah, is, is filling a weird landscape there that I don't know if it can, can necessarily compete because it's not bringing home the gold every week in the show it's not it's not making it feel like required viewing every week and i think that could be a difference
0: you know it's also important to know that at the time of the premiere of the mandalorian and even season two it was the only game in town for disney plus there were no other shows on disney plus even by the time we got mandalorian season two marvel had not even started Rolling out their shows yet? WandaVision Mm -hmm. premiered like weeks after season two. And so, season one of The Mandalorian launched with Disney Plus. It made a big, big splash. Like, that was their Mm -hmm. flagship show. Season two comes back, and everybody realizes, you know, that baby Grogu, baby Yoda is a thing. And so, I think that that certainly drew a lot of attention. But now, you know, you've had The Book of Boba Fett, you've had Obi Wan Kenobi, you've had Andor, you've had The Bad Batch, you had all these other things that have come out from Star Wars, it's not the only game in town anymore. So people are probably just tapping into other stuff too, you know, not only within just the zeitgeist of television with like The Last of Us mm-hmm. or Succession or whatever, but also just on the actual platform Disney Plus, there's just other op- offerings and other options, and so it might have just lost a little bit of the attention and some of the appeal because people maybe have watched some of those other shows like an Andor, maybe that wasn't their flavor. Maybe the book of Boba Fett wasn't for them and they didn't like it and maybe now the Mandalorian it's like oh you know I'm just kind of kind of over it you know maybe I'll just mm-hmm. wait and maybe I'll just wait until all eight episodes drop and I'll watch it all together I think there's a lot of different factors at play so we'll have to see how that continues to shake out let's talk about some of these episodes though episode three of season three super different than anything they've ever done before yeah. not only is it the longest episode to date like ever clocking in at mm. 59 minutes which didn't I know that? very much surprised because they don't do that with a lot of these Disney plus shows especially the Mandalorian but it also takes a huge, huge pivot within the second act in the middle of this episode. We spend about a good 40, probably 47, 48 minutes not following our main characters, not following Din Djarin or Grogu or Bo-Katan. We actually go to Coruscant and we're following two characters that we have been introduced to before. Dr. Pin Pershing and Elia Khan, two former workers, I guess, of Moff Gideon, who was the big villain of seasons one and season two, played by Giancarlo Esposito. And now they're both sort of on a path to redemption. They're both trying to mend their past and and find a new direction and do something a little bit different. But this was just a big change in departure than everything we've seen out of The Mandalorian thus far. And I think it's caused a lot of conversation among Star Wars fans. It's currently now the lowest rated episode on IMDb. Probably due to just the fact, yeah, just due to the fact that we're not doing our same regular adventures of Grogu and Din Djarin. And just the fact that the pacing also, in addition to that, is so different. It's much more political. It's much more intentional. It's not the fun Mm -hmm. adventure, the fun samurai western style that they've utilized so much in this series. Just what do you overall think about just this change of pace and how they, you know, sort of integrated the world of Coruscant again, which we haven't seen in a a while, I think, in, in the Star Wars universe, which was so integral to the prequel trilogy. But also how this story is now connecting what it seems like is the original trilogy, but also now the sequel trilogy that we just recently finished up with yeah. The Last Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker, The Force Awakens. There seems to be a lot of connective mm-hmm. tissue there. What did you think about just the events of everything that happened with those two characters returning?
1: It's, I think it's such an interesting study. Um, as I said in the the kind of my general thoughts segment, man, and I think, again, it's what are people looking for in Star Wars and what interests them and what stories haven't been told that can can add some value i think to this world in star wars there's so much happening in star wars all the time um but the way this episode plays out man i again i enjoyed it it's something about the the examination of i think the new republic that we've never seen before that we've never To me, I've never thought about until this episode happened. And I was like, oh, shoot, that got me thinking. You know what I'm saying? And I think for me, again, as a Star Wars fan who just loves stories, you just tell me a good story and have it have some meaning. And I'm like, okay, I'm pretty satisfied with that. And to me, that's what this episode did, man. Um, I think, you know, Katie O'Brien and Omid Abati were, you know, they took this episode and they – decided to kind of you know you you even said they kind of took a book out of andor here and it's because they talk about the real a lot of times in star wars land we like to live in the fantasy and not the political although sometimes the political to me can be just as interesting if done right sometimes the political don't get me wrong sometimes star wars the political you're all right y'all what are we doing here what are we talking about but there are other times where we're like no this services the story in such a meaningful way and here this this whole episode for me is like maybe is is really saying maybe the New Republic isn't as good as they set out to be, or they're not as high on the morality scale, or not as different from the Empire as it looks on on the surface of things. And to, I love that. To me, that is an examination of something that seems important and interesting, and like you said, ties up a lot of the the things happening between the previous trilogy or the the prequel trilogy in the new trilogy that we've gotten um in uh uh or the original trilogy sorry the original trilogy and the new trilogy that we've gotten And so i think uh yeah i i, I just enjoyed everything i think going down i thought the performances is really good uh i love the pacing i love how patient it was i love how there's little moments where um pin's care or pin the character pin professor dr pershing whatever you call him uh he there's just so many moments where he has to question where his loyalty should lie. And I think to me, that's cool. That's a nuance that like is enough for me to, to make the the, the episode interesting. Cause it's hard to trust when you're in this new environment and this new place. And you're like, Oh, can I touch that thing? And they're like, Oh no, you can't touch that thing, brother. I'm sorry. It's like, dang, I thought this was supposed to be utopia. Why can't I touch it? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm so yeah, uh, uh, of course a big part of the the episode is him trying to to, to continue his research which has to do with cloning. But <laughs> of course the new republic is like cloning. That's what Palpatine used to freaking for Order 66, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and all these other things. And so I can it's it's also interesting cuz I can understand new republic being like hell no, you can't continue no cloning. But then there's another part of you me, right? Where you're watching it and you're like I have But he could literally save lives. And so that's why it's an interesting conversation because I can see both sides. One and two, I can also see why the New Republic can seem a little empire-y when it comes to keeping these new uh, members, I guess, of of their of their community in check with their parole officers i can see why all of these things are happening and so yeah man i i i enjoyed the episode for what it was i appreciate all the things they were talking about because now it gave me a new lens on way in the way to look at the new republic and to me that's a successful episode
0: yeah you know beyond them seemingly trying to fix the sequel trilogy which i feel a way about that because i think that they know that's just not a beloved trilogy of movies and they're kind of Doing what they can to mend that fence and try to make it make it richer and, and extrapolate a little bit more out of that. Uh, this was this was really interesting stuff because you you have a guy in Dr. Pershing trying to find his place in this new world. He doesn't really know his purpose. He's trying to continue his research, but also everybody around him is looking at him crazy, looking at him sideways, judging him based off of his past. And he's really somebody that was mostly following orders and is very passionate about his research too. But this is now in a new world in which people just look down on his work and they're not totally mm-hmm. on board with it. But at the same time, the Alia Kane character played by Katie O'Brien comes off as somebody who's warm and, and comforting and can relate to him. And they're walking around Coruscant and just, you know, having casual conversation. It's just a lot of, a, it's just a lot of walking and talking in this episode, just, just getting mm-hmm. to know these people and, and, and seeing their relationship develop because the betrayal that she ultimately has at the end of him and, right. and, and turning him over to the new republic it's it's supposed to be gut-wrenching and it's supposed to bring to light those those morality and in those feelings of just like that that moral gray area that everybody exists in like you said everybody isn't necessarily as good as they seem they're not as heroic as they might have initially been presented to be and how can they be there there's no way to 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 have that be a reality in a world where War is almost always constant. There's rarely peacetime in the universe of Star Wars. And mm-hmm. when there's war at play, people are making very difficult, dark, tough decisions that ultimately are probably sacrificing lives and doing so at, at, at just, you know, sort of the at the expense of other people, you know, and people do become expendable in that process. And so just to see that whole relationship unfold we don't know how it's going to play necessarily into the events of the entire season, but The Mandalorian has started to open up and unlock this idea of cloning more and more as we've progressed throughout the series. They, they touched upon it for certain in Season 2, I remember, but now it seems like it's going to be even more of a thing as as we progress here. But I, I'm, I'm very interested to see like where where it all might go and how we might also see Elijah Cain and Dr. Pershing come back into the fold here. With Chapter 20 and The Foundling, we do spend a lot more time back with Grogu back with Din Djarin and back with Bo-Katan because one of the big things that does happen in chapter 19 that sort of bookends the episode is the fact that Din Djarin and Bo-Katan are able to be redeemed you know they're able to go to the Mm -hmm. to the Mandalorian people to this this tribe of people and convince them like hey we saw the minds of Mandalore we were able to redeem ourselves Din Djarin is redeemed and also Bo-Katan is accepted into the clan as well and so, once we get to chapter twenty, we see them training. We see Grogu also training, trying to use his <laughs> Jedi, you know, tricks that he's probably picked up from Luke over the past couple of years. And he's a little, he's a little intimidated. He's not ready to really like tap into that yet. He needs that pep talk from Din Djarin. But we get to see, you know, just sort of that time spent with them to see like how they're adjusting to life here, being accepted back into the ranks uh, uh, of, of of the of the of the Mandalorian sort of hunting party. That's that's all throughout this episode. What did you think about just? The fact that Bo katan you know, who sort of not really had a place all the way up until this point, has found mm-hmm. her place alongside Din Djarin and we're seeing them, you know, sort of exist alongside each other. But there's there's also still, I think, an element of hesitation on her part where she isn't fully ready to accept the ways of these people and ready to to really ingratiate herself into what they're doing.
1: Yeah, it's. I think it's uh, an interesting arc. I love any redemption story, but I even like. I really like this. This, you know, you really just said it, this 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 unwillingness, I think, or or she's just Bo-Katan is not all the way in right now. And I love that conflict in her, I think, um, in that especially as someone who comes from royalty, <laughs> who's like, ooh, I don't know if I want to be that again. I don't know if I want to be deep into this thing and, and what I also love um, is who? what's the name of the lady again who does the armor for the Mandalorians I always forget her name I don't know I why I do too um, but I love you know she, she has this thing where she says to Bo-Katan I mean you've also bathed in the waters <laughs> you're already here just keep your helmet on if you want and it, you can still leave when you want to and and I love that it's such an open ended choice for Bo-Katan because that really is now in bo that puts the ball in Bo-Katan's court completely it's like, okay, you've been if if you're gonna do it, if you're gonna leave now, you probably aren't ever coming back, you know, kind of type thing. Versus if you're staying, you're probably really staying. So I, I kind of love this conflict um that she's in currently because it, it allows me to watch her. But then there's all these moments where you're like, you're really liking this bucket, aren't you? You know what I mean? Like the audience says that. I know it because you know when she's asking for um, she's getting her her arm plates done, and she is looking for the uh the mythosaur to be on one of her shoulders, and I, I just think it's cool, um, that they're exploring I think her character in this way. Uh, because, yeah, it gives her all the autonomy. So, yeah, I, I like what Bo-Katan kind of has going on right now, I think. Y-
0: yeah, I think the character's name is just the armorer. She doesn't have, like, a just a armor, name, just the oh, armorer. But, um, yeah, Bo-Katan's getting a lot to do here. Uh, you know, Katie Sackoff is doing a really, really good job. I think, I think some people are feeling a little bit like, hey, isn't this show about the Mandalorian? Why are y'all pulling a book of Boba Fett on us and all of a sudden switching gears? But I do think that this is ultimately going to be really, really something of service to the story that we are telling with Din D'Jarin, because we can sort of step outside of everything we've known about him, because his ultimate goal has been to be be redeemed after everything that he's been through, and is to you know to protect Grogu. We're seeing all mm-hmm. of that stuff happen, so I think that that's still moving forward. But Bo-Katan having. Her own agency, her own arc is really, really important here as well. Um, they are doing a lot of, you know, just more regular stuff. We're just kind of watching them just train and stuff. It's always cute to see Grogu, you know, just try to unlock those powers <laughs> and, and realize, you know, his potential at such a young age. And it's really funny to see him just do that that crazy Yoda flip all of a sudden and then shoot him up mm-hmm. real quick with the three with the three paintball pellets. That was that was nice and, and fun. But overall, yeah, Bo-Katan, I think is pl- is playing a really really integral part here. But speaking of Grogu, you know, one of the big pieces of, of chapter 20 episode 4 here is this flashback that we get while while grogu is you know sort of watching this armor be put together by the armor it's going to be this protective piece sort of bringing him again into the fold he has a flashback of his escape from order 66 and i know that this has been a conversation point really ever since the start of the mandalorian how did grogu escape he is a jedi at the end of the day or at least becoming mm-hmm. a jedi now is a jedi how did he escape Order 66? They obviously were able to identify people that were Force-sensitive and people that were training, you know, the Jedi arts. How did Grogu all of a sudden get out of, you know, just everything that was that was happening with that perilous event, which impacted the entire galaxy and almost wiped out the Jedi completely? And so we got a lot of that in this episode. Really, the whole sequence in the middle takes place as a flashback, and we see we see him on Coruscant, and we find out that he's rescued by a Jedi called Master and Beck— which is played by the same actor who famously voiced Jar Jar Binks in the prequel trilogy. Probably the most detested Star Wars character here. So talk about redemption. He's coming back for a moment of redemption here. But uh, Keller and Beck is the one that rescued Grogu from the Jedi Temple on Coruscant during the events of Order 66. Played by Amad Best. What did you think about this whole sequence and how it just, you know, sort of went down and just the fact that we we finally got a little bit of a look into just everything that happened with Order 66 and where Grogu was during that particular time.
1: Man, shout out to Keller and Beck or or my best for I think you know he's even spoken about this recently but this this character has kind of recontextualized him in the eyes of a lot of star wars fans man a lot of star wars fans do not mess with jar jar binks in fact he went on to play jar jar binks even in animated clone wars and, and things like that whenever he appeared so again people still had their reservations about him but really you know only recently a couple years ago where he they kind of had that legend of the temple type star wars show or whatever in which he he kinda came back and people were like, Oh man, we like this guy. And then he's like, Up, oh, I'm the same guy. Surprise. And was like, oh shoot, okay. So he's 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 kind of been, again, just a, a changing force. I think people are really starting to like him now that he has been uh uh Keller and Beck versus uh Jar Jar Binks here. And I, of course I have to agree, you know, to some to some form, Keller and Beck man is a beast, right? He's one of the only Jedi that's like I, I i think they say is um like really committed to teaching younglings i know a lot of a lot of them uh, there's always like multiple <laughs> things that they do multiple hats that they wear as jedi but this dude is a teacher first and foremost man they call him the sabered hand and he's just a really cool character i think um for for them to show in in the mandalorian again funny they literally made this character up for like a jedi legend of the hidden temple type show and here we are bringing them into a whole episode of the mandalorian i think it's just really cool thing that they're doing here especially certain characters can be can have really cool lores if you give them cool lores and i think i think he fits right in man he feels dope they give him another saber to play with in the episode i'm like this is a black jedi with two two lightsabers i'm i was i was on board seeing that uh seeing that stuff man um just because i think it's cool uh, and I, I am interested in what happened to Grogu through, during Order 66, right? I think we'll see more um, of what's to come or how the hell they get Grogu out of there, where Aunt Grogu ends up and all of these things. But I think uh, using Keller and Beck as a device or as one of the main Jedi to help get Grogu out is, is, a, is a pretty cool thing in my eyes.
0: It's also nice that Grogu isn't just like the cute, cuddly, wuddly device in the show. Like there's actual story mm-hmm. to Grogu. There is more to the character. Like this is going to be eventually at some point, probably well past the time we're alive on this earth where Grogu grows up and becomes <laughs> like, you know, of age and can start to speak and not babble all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh I also love when Order 66 really gets expanded upon and we get to, we get to see all angles of it because admittedly in in episode 3 Revenge of the Sith, it's like a it's like a 7-minute sequence. It's effective, it's good, but It's also like, well, there's a lot of Jedi in the universe at that particular time. That was like the height of the Jedi almost. Like this has to have more widespread ramifications. Can we see that stuff? So I love that we get this moment here. I love how they tapped into it with Obi-Wan Kenobi in those Mm -hmm. opening episodes or even Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. You know, that was a big that was a big piece of like the opening moments of that video game seeing just like the fallout from Order 66. And so anytime we can revisit that, which is, you know, sort of the. The main central focal point of everything that happened before and everything that happened after is always super entertaining. And then, of course, on Coruscant, which again, has played a really really important role in these past two episodes in both episodes 3 and episodes 4. We spent a lot of a lot of time on Coruscant. And I didn't realize like how much I kind of missed being in that place. Like we don't see mm-hmm. it that much all that often cuz yeah. I think it received a lot of criticism in the prequel trilogy like oh they just created this big CGI city. Like it's it doesn't have any character. It's not, you know, it's not a place that feels like Star Wars, but now revisiting it it almost kind of feels like home to a certain extent it almost feels like safe and familiar a lot of the clone wars tv show took place on Coruscant, Mm -hmm. and it's just been it's been brought back up a lot recently so i just love that stuff um as we close out here you know sort of any any final thoughts on on these past two episodes of the mandalorian any hopes for you know the final four episodes that we get over the next few weeks
1: yeah i think these these first couple episodes even like you said even that first two definitely felt like let's get back into it kind of feels which make them fine episodes. I'm hoping from here on out we do get some of the I think big plot points and driving forces to the end of what makes me feel like the season was successful, you know? Uh uh cuz although I don't I don't mind any of the episodes, you know, that we watched so far. I like uh all of them for the most part. I am looking for like a something by the end of this to be like, "Oh no, that season was pretty heat You know what I mean? "Oh no, that season was pretty cool." And I think We've done a lot of that groundwork. I think I think Bo-Katan is coming to a place where she's going to continue to wear the helmet for a little bit. I think Grogu is being trained for a reason. I think uh, uh, our original Mando, J- Din Djarin, is 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 back and redeemed. I think we're now at a at a point in time where our three adventures that we're following right now can get into some mess, <laughs> and I'm excited to see what that mess is. Um, and I'm ho- hopefully that's exactly what's coming. So yeah, uh, I'm just looking forward to hopefully a uh, a good end of the season and some actions to go down.
0: We haven't seen or heard about Moff Gideon yet. Mm-hmm. Do
1: you think
0: it's possible that elia Kane is sort of performing an inside mission? You know, she's like a double agent. She's working on behalf of the New Republic, but she's doing so in service of Moff Gideon because... The New Republic, I think the last time we saw him was at the end of season two. He was in their Mm -hmm. possession, you know, and I think he was going to go to trial. But we don't really know the state of him. Do you think perhaps that the Eli Kane character could perhaps be, you know, sort of working as a double agent to ultimately free him or get him back into the fold of things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The way in which he's maneuvering right now definitely feels like. Something is absolutely wrong with her. Even when all of the officers turn around and she turns up the dial on what is the brainwashing, which they swear is not brainwashing. They try to make it sound all happy and <laughs> cuddly and things like that. But the way she turns up that dial man, she's definitely she's definitely a double agent. Almost triple, if you think about it. But yeah, she 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 has a lot going on right now. Um uh, but I I I put my bets that she's definitely Try to get back to Moff Gideon and get him out of there.
0: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, folks, those are our thoughts on the most two recent episodes of The Mandalorian. If you've checked out this series on Disney Plus, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think.
1: Be careful, my friend. They got you outnumbered ten to one. I like those odds. that you do.
0: And with that being said, we're going to transition to talk about our next TV show this week. We're going to catch up with the two most recent episodes of the Star Wars original series, The Mandalorian. We've been sort of recapping two episodes at a time as this new season three has been airing. I think both of us have had, you know, somewhat mixed reactions to the season so far. We've liked certain elements, certain other things haven't worked so well for us, but it's definitely been The Mandalorian. I think the show that we've come to know it to be over the past few years or so, and it is, you know, somewhat decent to have it back back on disney plus and back in our regular rotation but you know with these two episodes that have just currently come out what are your overall thoughts about them how are you feeling about the show now at this point we'll get into the spoilers and the details of some of the specific things that have happened but these two most recent episodes what did you think about them
1: man there's things about the pirate that i really like that i can't talk about into the spoilers but there's something there's there, 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 there's something there i think they're doing um that i actually really appreciate man so that episode's fine guns for hire it's a little bit of a more mixed bag for me. <laughs> it's one of those episodes that because of... It's, it's something about the cameos, man, and make it feel a little more unserious. I, I I just couldn't put my finger on it, but that's what it feels like. It felt like, how can we throw these people in here but also slightly progress a story that... The, the overall story of what they're trying to do was interesting, but this little... Again, we know the Mandalorian week to week is just a different adventure. This isn't the adventure for that week, for this week. It was just mad at me. What they were trying to do was just add in me. I wasn't all the way um, in it as I as I hoped. Again, I like the outcome and I like the ending of the episode, but everything leading up to it felt really weird, man. It felt like. I don't know. I I feel like we were forcing things a little bit that we didn't have to force. Um, That's kind of what it felt like. But overall, these past two episodes, I'm okay with again, I think. Overall themes and overarching story beats that they're trying to hit make sense for me and actually work for me for the most part. But we just got to get there. And I'm, what I will say is I don't like how long it's taken us to get there though. That's what uh that's that's what I'll add to that. Uh, but they're fine, man. There's things about these episodes. Again, I I, I still enjoy. Um, I'm, I'm still look, I'm very much looking forward to these these next couple of episodes I think there's going to be some meaty stuff there this very much felt like uh, chapter 22 in particular the last episode very much felt fillery right Felt like oh this is definitely a filler episode this is now what we're going to do next week and so uh, of course sometimes you need those to get to the nitty-gritty and I think the next couple episodes are going to be the results of again some some okay setups um, of what's going on. So yeah, they're fine. Um, again, some good stuff, some stuff not so much. But I I, I really dug uh, the pirate episode for what it was.
0: Yeah, episode five of season three was incredible to me. It it, it was actually like maybe the best episode of the season so far just because of how adventurous it felt how big it felt it actually was really exciting and it started to pull together a lot of these threads and questions that i've had about this series up until this point because after episode four in which we reached the midway point i was just starting to feel like well what what are we doing here where's the story going are we going to get some answers and some clarity in terms of what the direction is and episode five was certainly starting to set up and answer some of those questions at least point us in the direction. And nope. it also delivered some great action, some great spectacle. And so I'm like, this is, this is the prime Mandalorian adventure that I would come to expect and know, that I've come to love over the past few years. And then episode six drops, and it is, I would say, damn near awful. Like, I, I, I almost loathe that episode because of just how uninteresting it was, how shoehorned it feels. How unconcerned it felt with just the larger story, and I love the word that you use, unserious. It felt super unserious, and I just walked away like, how the hell could we have such an experience like this where one week we just do such an excellent job of delivering a great Mandalorian adventure while still furthering the larger story at hand, and then subsequently we take like five ginormous steps back because that's what episode six felt like. It just felt like a a huge significant step back, I'm very disillusioned now with just where things are. And I I don't know how much faith I still have in the final two episodes because it is only two episodes now. Like, we are we are in the final stretch of this season. So, like, what's the point? What are we doing? And I think one of the big things that continues to be a sore spot for me is the fact that Mando, Din Djarin, is feeling like a supporting character in, in his own mm-hmm. show. And we saw a lot of that in the Book of Boba Fett. And I'm just like, wait, did we learn nothing from that experience? Did we learn nothing that, like... That really didn't work for the book of Boba Fett, where he was just like on the outskirts of everything that was happening. He wasn't really influential to the stuff that was going on in his own show. It feels like Din Djarin is very much in that same exact predicament. And I just don't understand it. Maybe a part of it is just wanting to expand the world of this story, which I totally get. This is the third season. You got to have new characters. You got to have new stories. You got to take it bigger and bolder places. But at the same time, like we got to get grounded with who are who our central protagonist is and I just feel Mm -hmm. like it feels like we haven't done that so I'm now just you know back in the place of disappointment I'm I'm back in the place of like I don't even know what to expect and I don't even know if I'm excited anymore about what the final two seasons or excuse me the final two episodes will hold but let's talk about more specifics let's talk about episode five of this season if you haven't seen these latest two episodes or any episode of the Mandalorian this is your official spoiler warning go watch this stuff and come back and listen to the rest of our conversation the majority of episode five is really about one thing, right? It's about Gorian Shard. I believe his name is what his name is. He's the Pirate King, right? He he mm-hmm. wants to come to Navarro and essentially take over. He he's launching an invasion against Grief Karga, who's coming back in this episode, played by Carl Carl Weathers, and we get to just see this 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 massive invasion of Navarro take place. And it's it's interesting the setup here because Grief Karga has just done a lot of work over the past couple of years to make Navarro feel like a place of peace, a place of prosperity and, and productivity. It's become like a really a really good safe haven for a lot of people, for the people that live there. But now, Gory and Char at the Pirate King, he's not having none of that shit. He wants to come back in exact revenge <laughs> and take over. And so from the very opening moments, really, of that episode, we get to see that happen, and he pretty much takes over the land and so that necessitates the help of Din Djarin and all of his fellow Mandalorians to come in and sort of launch a counterattack to take back Navarro from the from the possession of the Pirate King. What did you think about that being sort of the focal point? That's, you know, again, sort of a rescue mission. We typically know the Mandalorian is sort of a rescue show, like there's a mission at hand. Right. And somehow Mando and Grogu and crew will come in and sort of alleviate that, that pressure or that problem for whoever is in that particular predicament. But what did you think about the setup there and just how that all played out over the course of the episode?
1: Yeah, one of the things that I've kind of been alluding to that I love about this season of The Mandalorian is the expansion of the Mandalorians, I guess, returning into the world. I love just when we're walking around and there's like a bunch of other Mandalorians just kind of in this community, man, in this in this uh, uh, this 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 fortitude of, you know, of of community. It's just really cool, I think, to see, especially again we know Boba Fett before all of this uh which created all of this the Mandalorians weren't much right we didn't know much about them they weren't really a thing they were just kind of uh uh thrown in there and ever so slightly written about and we didn't have a lot of visuals to go off of um but really man I love that this show was like expanding again the lore and what I think about Mandalorians I think it's really cool like I'm episode five I was like damn that would be a cool-ass group costume, like a bunch of people with different Mandalorian costumes. I don't know. It's just something about it that feels really cool, right? It's something about uh, them expanding, again, the knowledge of of these people that feels right. Like, the name of the TV show is, is The Mandalorian. It's like, you might as well add an S to episode five. It's The Mandalorians. And I think when you veer like that sometimes for the, again, for the expansion of a group of people that is that does have to do with your main character and slightly Bo-Katan, I thought it was pretty cool, and I thought it was pretty well done, man. Um, So I enjoyed it very much I love We've been talking about it I love a good team up man And this was Not only a team up It was as they talked about something that could get them to the next step of bringing their people back. Right. This was they were doing this for land. They were doing this to show that Mandalorians are still alive and we're still here. They had a purpose. And I really love that about it, too, man. And so I, I I found myself, again, really enjoying all those aspects about it. The There's the one with the big gun. And I even like when before while they're talking about it, they're, they're in the cave and they don't have a a, a talking stick. They have a talking hammer. Of course, they'd have a talking hammer. They're armor people. I don't know. It's just little stuff like that. I was like, man, this shit is cool. I love that they're doing this, man. So that, that, that's part of the reason I think I really I love uh, that aspect that they're doing uh, in the season with those things with the Mandalorians as a culture, but I also just really like the episode because I love team up episodes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what 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 makes the ending of it even more gratifying once you know all the Mandalorians come in and rescue Navarro is the fact that they do have that that scene in the cave preceding it where they have to sort of convince each other that this is worth doing right because it's going to be a risk for them they can lose their people they can become you know further closer to extinction if they if they go on this mission and potentially lose fellow mandalorians and so you you see you see Din Djarin sort of pleading for their help saying like we should do this and then you get you know Paz who you think is going to like not be for it, like step up and say like, no, this is exactly why we should do it. This is what we're built for. This is why we're here. We can protect and save these people. And it's not really out of a selfish gain because like by the end of it, we know that Grief Carga extends Navarro to be sort of their new home, but it's really out of the service of protecting people. And as you said, making sure their presence is felt because though they've been sort of on the outskirts of the galaxy, they haven't been really known to be around. This is a way to make a statement and to come back in full force. And just how great was that whole action set piece. It was so I think it was so yeah. well shot. I think mm-hmm. that the, the the action choreography here was was just so well done. It felt it felt really big and epic. It felt like big budget Star Wars. And I think the Mandalorian by and large, does a really, really excellent job at, at, at action set pieces. Like, they typically mm-hmm. always kind of knock it out of the park. But I think in this particular episode, it actually felt like we were on, like, a, a theatrical-level sort of Star Wars event, like that whole thing going down. Like, it felt like it was it was really laid out well. You knew where every character was. You, you didn't really have trouble following the action. Did you feel similarly when you saw it all unfold? Like, well, what was sort of the standout moments for you in that that, that final set piece?
1: Oh for sure. I even love um before when 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 Bo-Katan kind of tells them that y'all you're y'all acting as a special ops military unit, you know what I'm saying? And they're in the ship and they're all lined up. I'm um, again, this is all very like nerdy, but if, it's important. <laughs> very ner- but like again, the way they were lined up and about to drop into the city was like yes, more it's of that. Badass, Give me yeah. more of that bad ass. Like that again, that's enriching the culture of Mandalorians to me, right? Like uh, uh, we'll talk about this later, right? But knowing, let's say like a Star Wars movie happens later and we're like, oh shit, is that the Mandalorians? You know, what I mean? it's a different excitement now. And I think the show is doing a good job of being like, oh yeah, you should be excited about that. That's a Mandalorian over there. Or these are Mandalorians. And and so um, I really like the, the of course, the the main, I don't know if you call it the main set piece, but the moment in which they're surrounded and there's, too, there's only, you know, they, they really have to figure out how to get out of this pickle. And then in comes, of course, again, uh, uh, Mandalorian with the big gun. And I don't know, man, something about it that felt, of course, it, it feels westerny, right? It's supposed to. Of course, it feels very much like you've semi-seen it before, right? But it's still something about it that felt very endearing, very charismatic on screen. It's like, oh, no, this is Star Wars. Somebody, the Mandalorians are pulling up. Um, so I really like that scene, man, where they're surrounded and they have to kind of get out of that pickle.
0: Yeah, great Star Wars action all around. And then, really, after you get not only an incredible set piece, we, we we end the episode with two very, very key pivotal moments. Again, sort of tying the threads of questions that we've been asking, things that we've been wondering about the story this season. One, you get Bo-Katan sort of being tasked by the armorer to, to unite all the Mandalorians. You know, the armorer says, like, Bo-Katan is the perfect person to walk mm-hmm. both of these worlds. And we've known Bo-Katan to sort of be on the outskirts of the culture she's been without her helmet for a while but now she's been sort of ingrained into this new Mandalorian culture that she's found along with Din Djarin and the armor sees the value in that the armor says like no you are the perfect person to be able to unite all of our disparate cultures and factions to create one people once again and then subsequently, we get a crazy final scene in which we find sort of the remnants of the prison transport from Moff Gideon. We've been wondering about his whereabouts all season and what happened to him. We got tipped off a little bit earlier that he never made it to trial. And we find out that at the end of this episode, his prison transport was hijacked by a group of Mandalorians. Now leaving off that episode, I was like, Holy shit, that wait, is wait <laughs> that is crazy. After everything we yeah. just saw, they were so heroic and they, mm-hmm. they, they felt like they felt like the people they were always meant to be, right? And then you get that 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 gut punch, it's like Oh, wait, the Mandalorians are responsible for freeing Moff Gideon? Well, we find out, you know, in in, in episode six, I think, who's responsible for that. But what are your thoughts about Bo-Katan, you know, sort of being set up in that role to be that person to sort of unite all these people and to come together? And it almost it almost feels like, you know, to an extent, like the Mandalorian namesake, the title is is kind of about her this season. It's it's sort of rotating away from Din Djarin, which I have feelings about. But I also love the fact that Bo-Katan gets a little bit more of the spotlight. But what do you think about her, you know, sort of stepping into that leadership role?
1: You Know, even to add on to that, low key little Grogu, right? They're treating him like a youngling. Is he also <laughs> the Mandalorian? You know right. what I'm saying? Uh, man, I, I, I love the concept of Bo-Katan Bo Katan walking both worlds. Man, it's something you know, we kind of talk about in those first couple episodes where she she was like not all the way into the Mandalorian, uh, uh I think customs for a while, right? Uh, where she was like. Where, uh, where they pulled up on the armor and was armor was like, I mean, today you're a Mandalorian. Take off your helmet, you know, whenever you want to. And you can see how how um, I guess apprehensive she was about that. She still wasn't bought all the way in. But now the, the what the armor brings to her is like, but we kind of need you. We kind of need you to serve both worlds. And again, I just really love that idea, man, because Bo-Katan really is like the. She she she, had, she also bathed in the water. She's also royalty at the same time as being a leader of these other Mandalorians who also don't wear helmets. You know what I'm saying? She has now seen it all. She has been part of both worlds and she has been royalty in both worlds as well. And, and, and I think it makes sense for her and the journey she's on to kind of tread that line to potentially bring um, the other Mandalorians back, man. Now, again, that raises like, Another semi cool question, I think, for me, which is like, oh man, are we gonna have like if if and when all the Mandalorians come together, are there gonna be some Mandalorians who got their helmets on and others who never take them off? Or like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh shoot, that's kind of a cool concept um that I can get behind if they were to do that. Or they could just make all the new or all the Mandalorians it with their helmets off. Try to you know <laughs> make them go bathe in the waters too. I don't know what they're gonna make them do, but I I really like um, that idea, man. So yeah, I, I love the position Bocatan is in, um, and I love that again. She's she's having to be liaison between these two groups, man. I think this I think it's a good idea in service of the story.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the larger purpose of the show, especially in those earlier episodes, we were getting to see Bo-Katan sort of reflect on a on a lost world, a lost society. She was sort of in mourning about the Mandalorian people not being what they used to be and not being as royal or as regal or even as respected as they used to be. So for her to just like find her way back into the scenario and start to embrace different ideologies and realize, like, how far the Mandalorian tribe and customs and cultures go, I think it's a really effective way, you know, to get her at the forefront and to make the story a little bit more about her and put her more in focus. I do wish that some more of that that conversation and that conflict even between her and Din Djarin was a little bit more apparent in this episode and most notably the episode six in which we're about to talk about but I do think that ultimately like she is kind of that perfect person she's been set up to be that that really that that light for the people that can you know sort of walk between both worlds that brings us to episode six and we find Din Djarin, Grogu, Bo-Katan they're going to go to this new planet called I think it's Plazir 15 because they're looking for Bo-Katan's old sort of Mandalorian compadres are looking for wolves in Casca Reeves played by Simon Casanetis and Mercedes Vernado, aka Shasha Banks aka Mercedes Monet professional wrestler coming back here didn't expect that to happen but it seems to be pointing to the fact that they might have been responsible for freeing Moff Gideon from his prison transport at least that's how it seemed like it presented itself that they were sort of like the, the rogue Mandalorian agents that helped him go free. There There's ulterior motives that they have that we don't necessarily know about at this point. So they're going to look for them on this new planet, but they they all of a sudden get diverted and they're forced to go into sort of the main central point of this new planet, which is like this domed area. And we get to meet two new characters played by Jack Black and Lizzo. It's it's Captain, I think, what's his name? Captain, Captain Boutier or something like that? Captain Bombardier? Some weird, weird almost sort of ironic name and and Lizzo is playing the duchess um this casting in particular was was shocking I think for all viewers (laughs) because nobody is like putting on their bingo card that Lizzo or Jack Black is going to be in a Star Wars episode of anything um but they sort of serve the purpose of being like the 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 people that greet Mando and Bo-Katan but then they all of a sudden send them on a mission as well but before we talk about like even more specifics there like what are your thoughts? Jack Black coming in here, Lizzo, you know, taking her hand at acting. What, what, what were your thoughts about just their presence in this episode?
1: Man, I I don't even know how to, how to frame my thoughts here, man, because, um, of course, I love Jack Black. I think Lizzo's great, too. It's something about them being in this episode that I think, I think it's at the same time together that just did. I don't know. It felt weird, man, especially their characters are very eccentric, too. They're very much flamboyant and bright people they got i don't know they eating all kind of crazy food and again they're supposed to be regal and i don't know it's something about it that felt very off to me again especially maybe it's because maybe it's because the 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 nature of the last episode right the the pirate where mandalorians are very grounded people right where they're very they got armor and guns that's what they do they got armor guns and then we come to this planet and it's lizzo and jack black i don't know the pirate very serious, and then we get to this episode, and it's like, y'all don't feel very serious not only because of that, but their brand is kind of silly people sometimes, right? Both Lizzo and Jack Black are funny people, they, are, they aspire to be funny. The things that they do sometimes are for comedy purposes, and so when you see them, you're not like, "Woo, I can't wait to see what they do in this Star Wars world. It's just like, I don't know, it felt very silly. To me, um, in in the way it w- I think if they had split them up, maybe I wouldn't have felt that way, right? If maybe it was just Jack Black in, a, in an actress and the next episode was like Lizzo in somebody else, I would have been like, okay, that that's a cameo, because we've had other funny people being Star Wars, Kum Kumail Nanjiani, like you know what I'm saying? Like other people have done it successfully, but them at the same time just felt like a lot, um, and and I I just wasn't ready for that, I don't think. Again, especially. Coming off that last episode, which felt like, damn, uh-oh, where's Moff Gideon? He just got, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I expected that at this episode to then follow up with something slightly more serious than what we got. Yeah, this shit was just goofy.
0: It was just completely goofy. Like, why Why is Jack Black and Lizzo in this episode? And and no, nothing against either of them. I also love Jack Black. I think he's great. Lizzo, she is totally fine. And she actually, in terms of her actual acting in this episode, she mostly plays it straight. And she's fine. But the presence of them here makes no sense at all. Like, they don't need to be in this episode by any means. It, it just almost feels like... Disney is a corporation just kind of flexing their connections saying like hey we can get anybody in Star Wars we can put anybody in this episode we're gonna get Lizzo one of the most popular artists in pop culture and we're gonna get Jab Black a real funny man and just have him in this episode but it's like why because you could just like cast really good character actors like just get really good actors to be in these roles to play these parts effectively when you look at a show like Mandalorian which is what they do every single week like the Mandalorian has a bunch of real and not to say that Lizzo isn't a real actor but they have a bunch of like real actors that are like there to just like deliver the lines and do the job and just be that but when you see Lizzo in the middle of a Star Wars episode it just can't help but be distracting like there's no need for it and I think we have seen Marvel do similar stuff where it's like why is this person here I will give Marvel credit that they typically kind of use that person more so for their actual their actual persona, like we saw Megan the Stallion and She-Hulk, she was just being Megan the Stallion. But maybe Harry Styles is a little bit more distracting because he's Harry Styles, but I'll give Harry Styles credit because he's trying to like really delve into acting and be super serious about it. This here is just like, I, I just felt like that there was no need. And then the episode proceeds to just not be eventful or entertaining because the mission that they get sent on is just like, for what? They're, they're, they're there to investigate some droids that are malfunctioning. Why is this important? Why do we why do we really care about this? I guess it'll tie into the larger story at hand, but like droids haven't effectively been a part of the Mandalorian story in much of a significant way at all, unless I'm mistaken. But like droids were Mm -hmm. very much like prequel era storytelling. That was very much a part of like episode two and episode three. Mm -hmm. And we get, you know, Christopher Lloyd's character here, who's sort of like the puppeteer behind this whole debacle. He's very much loyal to to, to Count Dooku, he, he he considers himself a separatist, and so I guess they want to co- connect it that way, but I just didn't understand the point of, like, why that this was here at this particular time, like, how is this furthering the story at hand, how is this making anything all the more important, like, did you find any sort of interest in in the droid storytelling, the fact that these droids were malfunctioning, and Din Djarin and Bo-Katan had to go sort of investigate what was happening there?
1: No, uh, <laughs> not at all, I don't think, I, again, I think, the offer that was given to them i don't know i don't know their names by jack black and lizzo's characters i think was interesting right being for the mandalorians to be recognized as a people again right as a community again i think that i think the incentive is interesting what they had to do to get there i mean i think there there are parts of it that could have been cool right like this little detective story between them trying to figure out what's going on i think ideas of it are fine. I don't think that it's, it's that terrible, but it, when you start off the episode as goofy as you did, I don't know. I just, it, it took really the rest of the episode, <laughs> it took it out of me because I don't know. It, again, it felt just as unserious <laughs> as, as, as we were talking about. So yeah, I, I want it to be interested. And again, I think there's ideas and aspects there that can be interesting, right? In a detective Star Wars story, the way it was put together just didn't work for me seeing Christopher Lloyd was like man you're too important <laughs> to be in an episode like this is the episode they gave you bro it just didn't feel the way I, I expected it should feel so yeah no I wasn't I again ideas interesting but the execution no nah, I wasn't that interested
0: and Christopher Lloyd's character was named Captain Hellgate, as if you couldn't tell he was a bad guy. They named him Captain Hellgate. So it's just Come like, on, what are we really doing here? So again, this episode was just like, it, it was just, I don't know, man. The the only The only really good thing that I liked about it truly was the end, because we see Bo-Katan confront Wolves, you know, for for leadership of the Mandalorian people. and And ultimately, they have a quick, you know, sort of battle between each other. She bests him, and then... Ultimately, we see her bestow the Darksaber, you know, because Wolves has that conversation where he's like, you know, you should really be in possession for it. It's almost like he's trying to pit Din Djarin against her, but Din Djarin is like, no, actually, he's right. You should have the Darksaber, this should be your weapon you rightfully, you know, sort of won it in combat, you only gave it to me you know, for, for a particular reason, but this should be yours, and so once again, we are seeing you know, sort of Bo-Katan take the reins of leadership and, and and really live up to that idea of like, bringing together all the disparate cultures and all the different factions within the Mandalorian people so we'll see how that all plays out, again, there's only two episodes left, so not much left in terms of the roadmap of storytelling any other hopes or, you know, sort of desires out of these final two episodes, it looks like the final two will be directed by Rick Famuyi who's you know sort of been frequently directing a lot of the Mandalorian episodes he did direct the uh, first episode of the season as well so he's going to close out the final chapters of the season but any sort of hopes and aspirations for what we'll see in the in the final
1: two episodes uh yes a black man um again my hope is that you know, we just get some some Moff Gideon stuff and some Mandalorian stuff, man. That's really what the story has kind of been shaken up to be. Uh, you I, you can tell there's going to be some some weird quarrels within the Mandalorian world, man, once they figure out that they freed Moff Gideon. Uh, and so I'm just looking for the resolution of that stuff, man. A little bit of good action. Again, give me uh, Din Djarin and Grogu. Get the focus back on them and try to finish out a story I think that's meaningful for uh, the Mandalorian to come.
0: I, I, I want something shocking at this point. Like, they gotta, they gotta damn near knock my socks off. Like, Bo-Katan has to be, like, the rogue agent at this point for me to be like, oh, shit! Like, this is kind of crazy that they went this way and they went into this, you know, sort of dark territory. Maybe she's working on behalf of, of Moff Gideon. That's very, very, very unlikely. The, the Mandalorian isn't necessarily known to take those types of creative swings, so I'm just like, I'm reaching really for that for that type of for that type of, you know, sort of surprise element to come in. But I do want more focus on Din. Like I want I want them to get back to to, to, to some of the development with him. Like, how is this all affecting him? How is he also going to play a part in, in trying to bring together all these different factions? Like instead of just like being being at the right hand of Bo-Katan, because that just I don't know, it looks a particular way. And I'm not I'm not really here mm-hmm. for it, but we'll have to see what these final two episodes looks like. But folks, those are our thoughts on the two most recent episodes of season three of The Mandalorian. If you've checked them out on Disney Plus, hit us up. And let us know what you think.
1: For thousands of years, we have been on the verge of extinction. And for thousands of years, we have survived. It is time to retake Mandalore. This is the way. This is the way.
0: With that being said, we're going to move on and wrap up our conversation with the Star Wars original series on Disney Plus, The Mandalorian. We've been chatting about Season 3 for the past few weeks now, and we just got the final two episodes of Season 3 of this series, and so it's definitely been an interesting journey, to say the least, about The Mandalorian Season 3. We know that this series has been hugely, hugely popular for a number of years, and I think coming into Season 3, now in sort of a different landscape for Star Wars when there's multiple Star Wars series on Disney Plus, multiple offerings and different different avenues that you can take in terms of where you want to experience your star Wars storytelling. The Mandalorian has certainly been in, I think in a bit of a state of flux because it's coming Mm -hmm. off of a, a, of a spinoff in the book of Boba Fett. And it's also sort of in the middle of this bigger experiment that they're taking with these Disney plus shows, because we recently found out about the existence of an, of an upcoming movie that's going to be developed by series creator, Dave Filoni. That's sort of going to pay off all of the story threads that we're seeing established in, Not only The Mandalorian, but The Book of Boba Fett and the upcoming Ahsoka series as well. So The Mandalorian Season 3 has, again, existed in a very peculiar space, I think, at this particular point in time. But with the conclusion of this season and these final two episodes that have come out, Before we dive into our specific thoughts and before we talk about some of the spoiler filled details that occurred over these past couple of weeks, just want to pass it to you to get your overall thoughts and feelings about how they wrap things up with the with the season three of The Mandalorian. What were were your overall thoughts just about where the story went and how they how they sort of concluded this this season of The Mandalorian with the storytelling?
1: Uh, I think there were a fine two episodes for me. You know, me and you had talked at length about the first six and how everything didn't work for us. There's some episodes in there. And like, I don't know what we're doing here, but I I found myself uh, uh, enjoying these last two episodes. I think they do things that are are interesting and very Star Wars like. Um, in, in a couple a couple of like shocking things, as well. Um, to 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 kind of I think propel us into the future of what the Mandalorian looks like. So, uh, man, um, I I think overall, again, it it, it was fine. I really like the last episode. I think, I really think I really liked the finale, um, in, in what was going on there, but man, I, I, it was some action going down. Some things happened that we expected to happen. Some people showed up, we expect to show up, but I think I, I just enjoyed it, uh, for what it was. It felt like star Wars to me. And it felt like the Mandalorian had become think of something bigger than what again we originally set out when what the original episode one uh, was at the beginning of season one now I was like dang, we're really here with uh, the Mandalorian it like it it means something completely different so I I enjoyed it man I thought I thought they kind of bounced back from some of those weird episodes in there or some of those weird story choices that were in there Uh, but yeah I liked it I think I I think I I ended somewhat satisfied Uh, satisfied by the last two episodes i still have to kind of process i think the season as a whole because it was so fragmented to me because it was so weird but i think if you take those last two episodes and just make them their own thing turn it into your own hour 30 special i think it's really enjoyable and i enjoyed myself
0: yeah season three has certainly been disjointed and i think you can find worse episodes in this season than these most recent two I i did like certain elements of these final two episodes i think from a action set piece standpoint they were phenomenal this was some of the best action that we've ever gotten in any of the mandalorian episodes you can tell that the budget has certainly Mm -hmm. been increased the bag has been opened for the show twofold i think by disney (laughs) it it looks it looks the part and can play on a big screen i I would dare say it was it was incredible looking action and certainly some moments of thrills and and, and excitement that there were nice to see and some arcs that have had an element or I guess a, a sort of an idea of, of conclusiveness, a nature of conclusiveness to them. But there are still some things that I'm a little I'm a little unsatisfied by. There are some lingering threads mm. that weren't really wrapped up, some things that were revisited or opened up in earlier episodes that never really fully got paid off. So they're just kind of out there as as, as these sort of unsolved mysteries, I guess, within the within the larger context of this show. But it was a solid ending. I think that they. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that they stuck the landing. I, I wouldn't go that far because that's kind of giving them a lot of credit for tying up everything. But I think that they had a moderately smooth landing to, to, to really closing out this mm-hmm. this particular era of storytelling for the Mandalorian. Again, some really, really cool moments, some really cool action that we saw. Um, and just like a, a, a larger-than-life presence of just like the Mandalorians within this larger Star Wars universe. I mean, we saw, them, we saw them in ways in these most recent two episodes that we've never seen them before. And that was cool. There was certain stuff I liked about that. But I think other things... As it relates to the larger conflict at play, the villains and antagonists in this show, and just also the focal point of, of what the show has been over the past seven or eight weeks, has just kind of left me a little bit, it's just left me wanting more across the board, and I think that by the end of season three, I don't know how much movement that we've taken with certain characters, and that, that kind of leaves me that just leaves me quite scratching my head about just the future of like what's going to happen with our main characters and just how are they going to you know play an important role in the future mm-hmm. in the future seasons of the, of this particular show and maybe even the movie when that comes around so not perfect solid overall but i think that there was definitely some room for improvement but let's talk about some of these yeah. specifics and, and we should start with uh with episode 7 of season 3 which was entitled the spies and we finally got the appearance of Moff, Moff Gideon, um, played by Giancarlo Esposito, in the show. He's been really the big bad of The Mandalorian for three seasons now. And we finally got his re-emergence. And we also got the appearance of this Shadow Council that, that that's made up of a group of Imperial warlords, almost, that, that are operating behind the scenes they're making moves and maneuvers that are pretty much largely unknown to the to the public eye they are working deep deep undercover and we get this opening sequence where Moff Gideon is talking to them about his reinforcements and what he's trying to do in terms of eliminating the Mandalorians but then we also get some nods to to maybe future implications of 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 incoming conflicts most notably with Grand Admiral Thrawn his 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 name you know gets gets name dropped here in this opening sequence which I think certainly points to the future of what we might see in Ahsoka and maybe even that movie that they're working on but what were your thoughts just about not only seeing Moff Gideon again, but also just like the bigger implications that there's this shadow council. There's this larger group sort of pulling the strings and mm-hmm. and really, you know, sort of maneuvering behind the scenes to to keep the Empire alive, essentially, because that's what they're doing. They're doing this really all in service of the memory of the Empire, because we know the Empire is collapsed really at the at the end of the events of Return of the Jedi. But they are carrying forth the work and it's certainly going to lead into the events of the sequel trilogy. But what, what are your thoughts just about those connective pieces that they tried to make between those two sagas?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, up until this point, when we deal with a lot of the Star Wars content we've ingested, we've always been dealing with the power of two, right? When it comes to the Sith and the dark side and the Empire, we're so used to, again, that that that, that rule of two. Palpatine and, and Darth Vader and all kind of people, right? Um do Duku and Asajj Ventress extends, you know, it, it, I think it's interesting coming into here where there's a council, and I was like, wait a second, we don't really operate this way in Star Wars a lot, right? Like, sure, there are always other players at part between your gun raids and all these other people. But we never really seen the Empire really act as like a council like this. And so when I seen that, when I seen Moff Gideon kind of talking to these this, this, this council, I was like, hmm, I kind of like this because... Uh, uh, Not only does this mean, of course, they're a larger threat, but each of these people in this council could have some kind of tie to a different piece of the universe that somebody can talk about at some point in time. Right. You can say, oh, this person is part of this council. Well, maybe let's go tell their story or maybe there's somebody who is uh, uh, part of the resistance in their part of the world or of the galaxy. Right um so I I just thought that was cool I was like dang a council was kind of cool kind of a cool thought um and I can't wait to potentially learn about the other people of the of this dark council I I just thought it was a cool concept um that we can mess with uh uh not only that but I also love how like Moff Gideon still in that instance still feels like (laughs) the 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 king of all of them somehow just the way he talks to them the way he he's like bro cloning is not my thing it's your thing go away kind of type thing <laughs> and, and i don't know it's just interesting so i love I, I i really like that idea i think of that council and that through line like you said of of kind of connecting us to those other pieces of of, of star wars of of again giving us something to chew on um for for uh continuity man i thought i thought it was a cool idea
0: yeah it it definitely kind of just reshaped this this entire series and just everything that we've seen thus far um to a larger context of where we are in this particular timeline like this is the quote unquote new republic era um again in between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy and so we're sort of seeing how things came to be by the time we met the first order like how did the first order really come to power Mm -hmm. we haven't fully explored that this is starting to tap into the beginnings of that where the empire is fragmented it's all over the place there is no real leader i think leading to lending you know sort of credence to your idea that there is no sort of rule of two at this moment it's it's a group of people that are in service of the empire and in service of Palpatine and what he believed in trying to piece all of this together and the one person who would be the leader Grand Admiral Thrawn is nowhere to be found at least not yet right we, exactly. we don't know we don't mm-hmm. know his whereabouts because in the in the timeline continuity at the end of Rebels he went missing and we still haven't officially met him in the live-action universe, because that's still yet to come in Ahsoka. We even got that moment last season in The Mandalorian when Ahsoka was looking for Thrawn. She was like, where is he, right? That was her main motivation. And so we'll find out, you know, those threads soon enough. But I I, I did like seeing this. And it was also interesting because there, there's a lot of parallels here with what Giancarlo Esposito has to do in this show compared to the work that he did with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. A lot of his character, mm-hmm. Gus Fring, was operating in the shadows. A part of why he lasted as long as he did is because nobody knew he was who he was, and also the fact that he was working directly against the Mexican cartel, which gave him sort of the lift and the elevation that he needed to get into the game. He was working—he was working directly against them to build his own empire, but nobody really knew. And Gus was a magnificent liar. You couldn't—you couldn't get any information mm-hmm. out of him. And even here, you're seeing those same sort of tropes imparted in the character of Moth Gideon. Because when they talk about cloning, he's like, "Yeah, I don't do that," which is clearly a lie. Like we see, like yes, he absolutely is into cloning and that's like his ultimate mission here is to make a bunch of clones of himself and so i just love that mm-hmm. yes he's a part of this council but he still has his own personal motives that nobody can really crack exactly. because he obviously is power hungry he wants to do his own thing and carry out his own mission so really cool stuff there to, to, to continue that world building um but speaking of world building though one of the big things that's been occurring this whole season is just like these th- th- this coalescence of these mandalorian clans right bo katan has been Sort of the nexus point of bringing together all of this, all of these disparate factions of the Mandalorians, and that really kind of that really kind of came to be in this in this episode, in episode seven of this season, where I think pretty much every existing Mandalorian, at least all the major ones, came together in this episode to to unite an army. Mm-hmm. Um, when they go to Mandalore, we meet another clan that's like on a pirate ship, which was really cool. You know, she's also bringing <laughs> together the people that she initially worked with, mm-hmm. with with um with um. I forget his name. Um, the 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 one guy that she fought last episode, but um, she she's yeah, bringing together all these luck. people, um, and, and it's really cool to see. X Wolves is his name, and I Axe, think that that was that just was like one the of the things that world. we hadn't really got, we, we hadn't really gotten this in the series so far is just like seeing how many Mandalorians are really out there, and and what would it be like to see them all come together, and also just get their different vantage points, because one of the things that we did learn is that Bo Katan ultimately surrendered herself. And the dark Saber to Moff Gideon, which was not the story that I think many people believed happened, but she believes that that was respons- the responsible, you know, sort of event of of the night of a thousand tears, which murdered a lot of Mandalorians and, and really kind of kickstarted this this era of all these disparate factions. But what did you think about just seeing, you know, all of these all of these different clans come together, you know, sort of under one cause and finally put their put their differences aside to to really just you know, unite against Moff Gideon and the, and the Empire and what they were trying to achieve here?
1: Oh man, I, we kind of talked about it, and I think it was episode five or six. But I love a good team up, especially when it's I think the the re uh, I think imagining and cultivation and coming together of this organization that you always hear about, but they're not one. They're not together. Two, the the when the, the TV show starts, it's just the Mandalorian. When we're in the original trilogy of Star Wars, you only know Boba Fett. You're like, where are these people and how do they exist? And now I feel like that, that we finally got the moment where you're like, oh, these are the Mandalorians. They are they are rallying. They're together on this planet. Of course, like you said, everyone has their own differences. That's what that's why Bo-Katan is here. Miss <laughs> Kreese is trying to get these people co- to come back together. But it's something about that feeling of. Star Wars is actually building this 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 whole culture of people. They're building this group of people for everyone to be like, oh shoot, okay, we get it. Those are the Mandalorians. This is why they're important. And this is how this is their story of how they potentially can come back together and fight back against the Empire or whatever is 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 driving them down. So I loved it, bro. I think that's why I really like these episodes. It's, it's something about the team up that always feels really cool to me. But to see all these different Mandalorians, all their different gadgets, all their different uh, uh shoes, all the different helmets low-key and what they're all wearing the armor you telling me the armor was up up in here doing what she had to do I love that <laughs> I love that she pulled up too because you know a lot of times somebody who's a leader somewhere they're like oh y'all gonna do y'all thing the armor was like I'm coming too what y'all mean so I love to see her I love that Bo-Katan was there I love that Paz was there you know what I mean it was just really cool I think to see all these I think Mandalorians that we had become accustomed to over these past couple seasons that we eventually or not eventually yeah but that are uh became important to us over time to see them all come together as well as their followers and be like yeah we, we we're here for one mission we all have the same calls let's get it done um because yeah it, it didn't have to be that way it could have been a story where the tribes just never got along and that was the that was the season skip him off gideon it's the, the the old versus the new or you know what I mean what whatever the tribes call for it could have been that but it wasn't that and I think I I just enjoyed the team up for what it was man so yeah I had a great time with it I I was I was really kicking it there are some weird things when it comes to I think our main characters when it comes to to, to young grogu that I was like eh, I don't know how I feel about that thing in particular but again I think overall the 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 idea of all those Mandalorians coming together was very satisfactory for me
0: yeah, it's a bit of a trade-off, I think, for me because I have to commend them for for deepening and, and enriching just the existence of this, of this culture of the Mandalorians, which is something I wanted to see at the top of this show. I just wanted to learn more about... What they meant to this universe? How many of them were there? Where where are they? Like, what are the what are the, the the pain points between these different factions? Like, why don't they get along? So the fact that we can start to get to those places and have those conversations, like the moment where everybody just sits down and is just talking, you know, before the the big battle, that's a good moment. That's a really cool moment because you get to see perspective and you get to, get to see where people are. And we, of course, we we again get the the revelation of everything that went down between Bo-Katan and Moff Gideon and how he betrayed her. All that mm-hmm. stuff was really well done. At the same time, what it unfortunately I think does, which is more of a I think more of a criticism for the entire season and not these episodes specifically, but we do lose a little bit of that focus on our main protagonist, Indenjar, right? Because we're we're taking some of the focus off of him to more mm-hmm. so expand the Agreed. world and the scope of the Mandalorians, which is probably a necessary evil. But maybe I think if the season overall was more balanced up until this point, I wouldn't have felt that way. Again, I don't think that this is something specific to episode seven i think that more work could have been done earlier in the season to give dinjarn the amount of time that we sort of need with that character and even grogu to a certain extent so that we didn't feel that way but by the end of this it's like wow he's really in the background now like he's just like along for the ride he's a part of the he's a part of the the army and and that's that's fine to a certain extent but he's still the main character right and so i think that that that's one of the things that kind of played against it but Overall, still a really cool visual. Dope as hell to just see all these different armors and and helmets and cultures and just all that stuff to, to come together on screen was a really, really dope visual. And then it leads to this big battle. And, and really, episode seven and eight are really one long episode that's just like divided in two, if we want to be honest about it, because this battle continues into episode eight, but it kickstarts in episode seven when we see all of the Mandalorians go to the Great Forge on Mandalore, but it's a trap. These Imperial Stormtroopers are already there. Moff Gideon is already sort of enacting his plan. And they have Beskar enhanced armor. So they're damn near indestructible. And we just get this big opening battle taking place in the Great Forge. Which, again, looked spectacular. Just the execution of it was incredible. I couldn't help but wonder the entire time. And I was kind of sitting on pins and needles watching it. Like, who's going to be the turncoat? Like, who's going to betray the Mandalorians in this moment because this episode is called The Spies and also a couple of episodes ago we found out the Mandalorians had broke free Moff Gideon from his prison transport so this entire time I was just waiting Mm -hmm. for somebody to like turn on the Mandalorians but it never happened it didn't even happen in episode eight actually everybody turned out to be pretty heroic so I don't know what's up with that thread I don't know if they're gonna continue to go somewhere with that and that idea but that was the one moment that kind of left me a little bit confused but beyond that the battle itself was really really cool to see and just the stormtrooper armor and just to see the existence of these clones that moth gideon had been building for who knows how long was also a pretty a pretty crazy revelation we had suspected that for a long time it's not like the most shocking thing but i think to see them manifest in the television show and to see that they are basically him like this is not like clones of just random stormtroopers or clones of snoke or whatever the rumor might have been like they were just him and they were gonna have the force all crazy stuff to see so so (laughs) how did you just sort of like take all of those different different moments that were happening between the battle and just you know even past visla sacrificing himself at the end so that everybody else could escape to wow. to the reveal of the clones and just, you know, Moth Gideon's ultimate plan there.
1: Man, so 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 much I think was going down so fast. But it's it 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 was really cool. I think I think Star Wars to watch again. And you see the stormtroopers and you're like, wait a second. Something's not right here. Like when you see the best car, that's one thing. But when the you know the fight, that 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 kind of final, almost final fight happens between uh Bo-Katan and, and Moff Gideon and the red guard comes out I think that was a revelation for me I think I did not put that together right because we all know of uh the last Jedi scene between Rey and, and Kylo Ren and the red guard fighting I've it was like a ding moment for me when they came out like oh they're wearing Beskar armor wow now that's that's how you make a yeah, <laughs> that's some nerdy Star Wars stuff right there. You're like, oh, okay, that's what's going down. I really love that moment. I thought that was really cool. Speaking of Paz real quick, man, what a warrior. <laughs> what a guy. He took, I had to, I wish he, we had like a body count for Paz though. Like the dude was taking out between that episode and the pirate episode. The dude had to take oh, out wow. like 80 <laughs> uh, something people, bro. Like it's kind of crazy. Like he's the only person with like this blaster machine gun thing. And he is just he's he's going crazy the entire time. Um and yeah, man, it's 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 just really sad because Paz was a, a beast, man. And I think what makes it even more sad is he had a whole son. And I think that's what made it like, do you have to be the sacrifice here? You're the you're the one who has a kid. You know what I'm saying? I was like, dang, come on, man. It doesn't have to be Paz, but a uh I do, I do like the idea that there was a consequence there. There was somebody who had to stay back and, and stop everybody out. It's always important, I think, to have that consequence. So I'm, I'm glad. I think I felt that sadness because I think it added um, um a layer. I think to that moment that I needed, man. But uh, I I love how demented Moff Gideon is with his own clones. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought that was pretty crazy as well. Um, and and yeah, it was it was uh a fun I think adventure and watch, especially how. I think uh, uh when Din when Den Jarn leaves has to go save baby Groku and then come back. Uh, and then it's like, okay, yes, I like this because uh, we, we kind of talked about this, but even a, one of the three lines of this season has been more so like a Bo Katan story, right? You even you even was like maybe sometimes the title is just about Bo Katan this season. And that's true. But also I think I I just thought about this. I don't know why I didn't think about this a long time ago that like the concept of the Mandalorian is already plural there's no Mandalorians with an S they're just like the Mandalorian is already plural I was like oh shit (laughs) why didn't I think of that before I just thought about this thing and so now I'm I'm, I was thinking of the these past couple episodes of like okay what is uh uh, Bo-Katan and um Din Djarin's relationship right because there is that important conversation of them on the boat with Bo-Katan kind of giving Din Djarin the rundown right I was like huh that was a kind of an intimate moment at least for as intimate as you're going to get for these Mandalorians. You know what I mean? Like you can only get so much intimacy with these guys, but it, it, it felt like an important moment too, and f- to see Din Djarin come back in that moment to say Mandalorians are stronger together. And that's literally a creed that they live by. And for them to follow that too, I like that moment as well. Again, especially with the reveal of the red guard and Moff Gideon and then the black saber breaks. And it's just a lot happening kind of in those moments um, that make you say, okay, that was cool. That was some cool Star Wars tidbits. And So, yeah, I, I enjoyed a lot of that, man. That was, I think, what made it. I agree with a lot of your points, <laughs> for sure, of what was going down. But I also I also liked a lot of these things, too.
0: Yeah, a lot of Fast and Furious action. Again, it, 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 it all was epic and, and done so on a grand scale. And, and for the most part, was really working for me and keeping things in a at a very frenetic pace. You also got, you know, once we got to episode eight, the, the, the season finale, you also got the moment where, Din is 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 captured and Grogu essentially has to rescue him now and we get mm-hmm. to see Grogu use his force powers which was adorable and also dope as fuck at the same time cuz he was like whooping some ass <laughs> and he's also flipping around and still trying to figure out his force powers but he is he's pretty far along that training with Luke has already gone a long way you can tell that the guy has mm-hmm. he he has a he, he has a very impressive arsenal underneath him i do want to talk about these clones though cuz this is like a big revelation um and this might just be yeah. the end of moff getting in so i don't know if more will come from this but in the Rise of Skywalker, episode 9 of the of the of the Skywalker saga, Palpatine That's somehow returns. Yeah, Palpatine somehow comes back. They don't go really in in much depth to explain it, but we know that he ultimately created Snoke to lure Kylo Ren to the dark side to ultimately rule the First Order. Like he did all of this in the name of really rebirthing the empire. And I think what we're seeing now with The Mandalorian and some of these other sort of New Republic era shows is that they're trying to make sense of where we went in the sequel trilogy because it was, quite honestly, it was disjointed and it, it didn't feel all the way mapped out from the it get-go. Was. I think that uh, by the time we got mm-hmm. to The Rise of Skywalker, it was like, well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't add up. And I think that they're trying to right some of those wrongs <laughs> here. So with Moff Gideon creating clones, I, I don't know how much of that we're supposed to, to take to the bank in terms of... Uh, of that influence that might be imparted upon what what palpatine ultimately does we don't get any sort of acknowledgements or nods to palpatine here we don't know if there's any connective tissue but even the doctor from earlier in the season when when we had that bottle episode in episode three um he he's sort of off nowhere to be found we re- we really didn't get that storyline wrapped up the scientists who practice cloning right like they didn't really mm-hmm, take that anywhere right. beyond that specific episode so I'm just kind of curious and this is like almost pure speculation territory but how much of this cloning that was focused on in this episode and really the Mandalorian up until this point how much of that do you think influences the stuff that we saw happen in the rise of Skywalker and ultimately what Palpatine was able to achieve by the time we got to episode nine
1: I think that's actually going to be one of the things that they harp on in this movie which is why we don't get all the answers with the scientists which is why we don't get a hundred percent what that through line is all the way to Palpatine I think Dave Filoni is going to be like, look, this cloning thing is uh, a—it's <laughs> very important. Like you said, they're trying to right some of these wrongs in the, in the story by the time we get to Rise of Skywalker. And I feel like this cloning thing is, is, is again, a for sure, of no exception. And that they'll start to, again, try to talk about uh, uh, these small things, because why even, I think, bring up that professor who's very interested in cloning, wipe his mind, and then not talk about him ever again? That's like if they don't if they don't do anything with that you're like uh this is a little weird like did they did he continue his research somewhere and then the empire took you know what I'm saying I feel like there has to be something else there especially if he's like the main guy helming this and attempting to have this research it's like we have to talk about this thing so right now it's kind of up in the air for me about how I feel about it right because it's like you have to talk about this thing you brought it up you can't just bring it up and then be like oh we left it on the table kind of type thing. So, yeah, I, I have a feeling this cloning thing is going to be important um, in the future. Uh, but, the man, the ways in which they do it, I don't know. Sure, they have some kind of plan. But I think it's going to – I think it's a good idea there. But I, I'm a little afraid of the execution um and it's something about because of the way the rise of skywalker is because of the way palpatine comes out of nowhere in some ways it's so wild it's like can you really make sense of this at the end of the day (laughs) can you really like is this something we should move away from because it already didn't make sense or there's the other side to me though where it's like this is Dave filoni he might have found some way or something to be like okay this might make sense a little bit. And I think if 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 it is the latter and Dave Filoni has found something to kind of bring us back to be like, okay, it's not perfect, but still a little believable. I, I could be on that train. And so that is my hope now. Now that's my, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm like, okay, they have to have something. A movie is coming. This cloning thing is a topic of conversation. Snoke, Ray, this is like, this is almost just important for uh. uh Palpatine as it is for Ray's story now too right it's like Rey, how like who even are you where'd you come about and so I think I think they're gonna try to try to write some of those wrongs or fix some of those holes in that story that we have to talk about so yeah right now I don't I'm not 100% sold I don't I it could still at the end of the day I could be like yeah that doesn't work for me but I, I have a little bit of hope because it's Dave Filoni <laughs> in in what uh might happen so yeah I, I don't know yet I don't know
0: yeah, because the implementation of that story in The Rise of Skywalker felt like sort of a half-assed idea to begin with, so you almost <sighs> have to half. do more work. You mm-hmm. you have to do more work now to make it all make sense, and, and, and you want them to reconcile that, and they've done that before. I think we've seen them sort of go back and, and not necessarily retcon certain things, but just enriching them, make them better, make them make more sense, and so that that is the hope. I was sitting here wondering, like, okay, well, I do wanna, I wanna get to that place. Like, we've been toying with this idea for a while. We know cloning is a massive part of all these stories, really, um, especially in this in this era, and also like the prequel era, which Palpatine ushered in the idea of cloning, right? And so we've seen it, we've seen it come to life before. But how do they, how do they execute that idea to connect us to that sequel trilogy to help us, to hopefully make us, you know, go back and watch that and say, like, okay, this feels a little bit better. Um, also, the idea that he was gonna have. These clones have the force somehow is also just like out there, which I don't I don't even know how I don't even know how that's a thing. I don't When he said that, I was like, wait, wow, like they're 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 not Jedi. They're not force sensitive. Like, how are we getting there? So there there certainly are still things that they have to tackle and address, because I, I did find myself at a couple points this season just thinking, like, have yeah. they forgotten like what they wrote in their own scripts? Like, did they forget that they said that <laughs> thing or that they introduced that idea and like all of a sudden we're not paying it off? So I just don't want us to end up there. Mm-hmm. Like, I want them to to reach those conclusions. Um, and and, and finally, we do get the apparent demise of Moth Gideon. I think we're left to assume like he's gone, although maybe a certain train of thought thought might say, like, well, you know, nobody, so he's not dead. But he looks like he was pretty dead to me. I mean, he got engulfed by flames, but he does have like some pretty crazy powerful armor as well. It was a crazy explosion. So I'm just kind of wondering mm. where do you fall on that? Do you think he's like absolutely dead and gone? And and if so, was that a satisfying death? Was that a satisfying way to see him go out? Or do you think that he might sort of still be out there somehow and, and survive that, that, that incident,
1: man, this is one of those ones where like, I really don't know. <laughs> and it's kind of hard to tell, you know, you're raising very good questions right now. We're like, I think there is a level of threat without explosion that it's hard to come back from at the same time. Like you said, nobody, not only that, the man has been cloning himself. There's probably another Moff Gideon in some other planet <laughs> somewhere who is, you, gotta have a you reserve know, as competent somewhere. as, as there, he got to have a reserve as the original. And so part of me feels like this is not the end of it. There are other, there's another Moff Gideon, if not Moff Gideons, <laughs> with an S that exists. What would be really crazy? Imagine, okay, Mandalorian, season four, episode one. It opens with a Moff Gideon lookalike on another planet who was just working, doing local work. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's trying to fit in and be a normal person. I would love that. I ain't gonna lie to you. I would be like, oh, shoot, who is this guy? Um, So I think I think that's a cool idea of him still being alive. But if he is dead, is that a satisfying uh, conclusion? I mean, he's kind of done his work. He almost slaughtered an entire planet of Mandalorians. He's killed a decent amount of people. He's been around a long time, right? It's not like we haven't got a lot of him. Um, So I don't know. I don't know if it's a satisfying conclusion because I I can see a world where he still exists and he's still alive. I also see a world, though, where... Maybe there's a, they have another protagonist in their minds, right? We see there's a whole council of these people. I could see another, uh, we, we know Thrawn is coming. You know what I'm saying? I could see another world where they're like, okay, maybe this Moff Gideon chapter has closed. And even if it didn't close, maybe he's no longer the main antagonist anymore. Maybe they introduce a new person and Moff Gideon is still kind of there <laughs> in some fo- in some with some kind of force, right? Maybe there is another clone, but he's still not the main big bad anymore. There is another, they do have a movie to think about, like you said, or like we've kind of been talking about. So man, I can kind of see both ways where that could be somewhat of a satisfying conclusion, but also I can see a way where like, nah, dude still might be alive somewhere. So I actually don't know. It's a hard question.
0: If he actually died in that fight, then I think that that was such a whack way to go out. It would be Mm -hmm. so unsatisfying to me because he's been a pretty decent villain. I mean, when you have a big bad be the overarching villain for multiple seasons and he goes out in the way that he did in that particular episode that's true i was just sitting there like nah son this can't be it like if this <laughs> is it that that was that was that was weak as fuck so i'm gonna hold out hope that somehow he comes back either through cloning i, I know a lot of those clones got destroyed but who's to say he does not have a backup plan right as, as we just stated mm-hmm. so hopefully he comes back as a clone or maybe that armor did in fact protect him because it is so strong and that that's what he built it to do and, and even if there is a bigger villain coming in Thrawn, I think that Moff Gideon can still play a very, very integral role. Like, I would love to see Gideon and Thrawn play off of each other. Like, they kind of set that up in, in the previous episode where Gideon is kind of, like, scoffing at the idea of Thrawn. Like, well, where has he been? How is... How, where is he now? He's not leading this council, so what are we to do? You know, so I would love to even see that come to life. But if this is, like, truly the end of that character, then they... They kind of shit the bed for me in terms of bringing somewhat of a satisfying Mm -hmm. conclusion to somebody that we're not supposed to like, per se. But you you just want it to mean more. You want it to feel, I think, a little bit bigger, especially when you had Din Djarin look at Grogu and say, like, look, we can't run anymore. We have to take him out. That's the only way we're ever going to get past him. That sets up a big battle. That sets up a big conflict. Even with Bo-Katan, like, she has a ton of history with him. You want to see that sort of come together in a big, huge moment, and it didn't happen Mm -hmm. for me? So... I'm just going to think that maybe he's somehow still out there. We'll have to see. Um, but to, you know, sort of touch on our last point here, the final moments of the season finale, see Grogu essentially become one of the Mandalorian people. And, 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 and Din Djarin adopts adopts him as a son, you know, formally allowing him to, to join the Mandalorian culture and the tribe. And we also see both of them, you know, sort of go on another brief adventure. They go take up, you know, sort of a, a, a new contract of work with carson teva who we saw earlier this season they have a relationship we also see them go back to navarro and revisit grief karga he offers them you know a place to stay on the outskirts of town when they're in between adventures and so it sort of neatly wraps up everything but how did you feel about you know grogu officially becoming a part of this culture and this clan especially after already going through training with luke essentially becoming a young jedi and Him and Din Djarin have been, you know, sort of a father and son this entire time, but they finally decided to make it official somehow because we don't know where Grogu's parents are. But Din makes the choice to say, I'm going to adopt you as my son so we can make you a Mandalorian. What did you think about just sort of that that bow that they put on the relationship between those two?
1: Yeah, one of the confusing things for me, I think, was the naming convention. I don't really (laughs) understand completely how that works because it doesn't seem like it worked like that with some of the other mandalorians i think where he just adopted din i was like wait is that how that works i don't know i i think there's something there i just don't understand maybe they'll explain it some somewhere later down the line but i think in a a a property right in star wars where titles and family is so important this was like a this is almost like a a wink like hey guys this is star wars and he gives him his name (laughs) kind of type thing he said he adopts adopts him as a foundling or he adopts him as 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 his own son and I, I i think um i think it's interesting man i think it 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 ties them together even more they've been they've been together so long at this point and it's funny that we called him the child we called grogu the child for a long time before we even knew his name or everybody called him baby yoda but everybody recognized that he was under Din Djarin's care, and everyone was like, "Go get your kid." Or everyone would be like, "Oh, is is that your son?" Or everybody would be like, "And now it's just like, oh, well, time to tie it up in some meaningful way by making Grogu, um, I guess, an official, an official Mandalorian man, an official youngling of the Mandalorians." I think, I I think I do with Star Wars a lot, specifically things like this. Uh, in this, these meaty, not meaty, but in these medium kind of shows, and these shows that fit in between projects, is I always project my mind into the future i always am thinking okay but like where's where is grogu in the new trilogy where is din jarn in the new trilogy um or in, in of star wars where do they exist were they alive when kylo ren and snoke were doing all these things were they you know i don't know I, this is something that i always do and, and and i'm hoping again this this next movie says something about that but i think their relationship and them becoming uh uh this 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 now again they're tied to each other now um at least as father and son in the guise of the other uh of the other Mandalorians now uh I don't know it just adds I think importance to their relationship into so it, it makes me wonder uh of where again all this ends up man it really does it, it and I think that's a that's a harder question <laughs> to answer. I think they're trying to answer that question in real time for us as well. But I think this is just such an important, again, wink and being like, yeah, they're they're really tied to each other now. So I I, I like the decision. They were already like that anyway. Uh, Not 100 percent sold on the naming convention yet, but I still like the idea of Grogu being this like I, I still have this really cool idea of a young force sensitive Mandalorian because we don't get that. We don't get that and so yeah I, I can't wait to see potentially where that ends up
0: yeah it was cool you know i think um for a while there especially in season two the first half of season two i was starting to become somewhat annoyed by the existence of grogu because he would mm. just end up in shitty situations that Din would have to rescue him from and i'm like okay y'all we we cannot do this every week it wasn't really until ahsoka popped up and started to like educate grogu about his existence and Mm -hmm. say like yeah you're force sensitive and there's more to you than just this this baby apparatus essentially and so Mm -hmm. the fact that we can fast forward now and like Grogu has a lot of purpose here, you know, he's gone through training, he's honed his skills, he he's useful in battles, and, and he can still have the really adorable and funny moments too, like when he's operating that that IG-11 for for a while and he's doing the yes no, yes no. Like that's funny stuff and you like that. But I just love that they can start oh, to like add oh, in those extra yeah. layers and threads and and actually give him a title and, and a purpose and we can we can probably see Grogu grow up at at, at a certain point because as you said, we don't necessarily know where they are in the Rise of Skywalker or really the entire sequel trilogy. So who's to say that Grogu isn't somewhere operating behind the scenes? Who's to say that Grogu couldn't have a presence in one of these future movies, especially if it takes place after the Rise of Skywalker. So I really like seeing that stuff come come to light and just, you know, him him sort of being accepted into a clan and a culture, especially coming off of that flashback where we saw he had to escape Order 66 and so we don't really know where his family is. So it was overall pretty pretty good solid ending for for that particular character but wrapping up here just want to get your overall thoughts about season three how did things land for you i know you say you're you're still sort of grappling with how you feel about the season as a whole but mm-hmm. just at the place we're at now with the mandalorian as a show and also as we have been alluding to the future of this particular era of star wars and where it may go we now know the existence of this movie by dave filoni we know ahsoka is around the corner we know that some of these threads are all gonna start coming together in somewhat of a crossover event it, it's almost like I don't even know what to call it Mandalorians assemble Star Wars assemble it's like Avengers that, that we'll ultimately <laughs> see right in, in a few years here but mm-hmm. what are your overall thoughts about season three and just how are you feeling about the future and just you know your optimism or possible skepticism with where things might go in the next few years
1: yeah I'll reiterate that uh season three was fine for me again a couple episodes that don't work for me but the overall idea I think of the building the culture of these Mandalorians I think was really cool and I think it was uh, uh, yeah I think it was important for somewhat of the future of Star Wars I I actually will never forget watching um, uh, uh, Force Awakens and there's a small easter egg when they go see uh, Cass and uh, uh, there's like a, a Mandalorian flag and everyone's like wait a second we know what that is and this show Loki kind of feels like a uh, I guess like a callback to that moment where it's like oh here's a whole show about these people <laughs> even though we just seen nothing but a flag and I think that's really cool that Star Wars can literally take a group of people that they've never really touched on and make a whole TV show about it and, 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 and I, I I love seeing that through line here I think in this season again where they just they find ways for to explain to us how the culture works with the Mandalorians why Bo-Katan is who she is why I don't know why the, certain Mandalorians don't like each other. Just the lore of those people. I like that they 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 um, they um did that. I, I low-key wish this season had like four more episodes because to a lot of your point, there's things in here where I, I really do just wish Din Djarin and Grogu had a little bit of more screen time, had a little bit of more moments for us to say, okay, they had their moment. You know what I'm saying? So for us to say, okay, they did their thing. Uh, and I think... Uh, uh, we just talked about the name change of, of Grogu and that adoption that adoption was fine and I, I wish we didn't say that. I wish we were like, okay, no, they really earned that moment. Not saying they didn't, but I wish it felt just a little bit more gravity behind it because we spent the time with those characters. I, we, I, I feel like we didn't get that 100%. And part of me wishes there was a couple more episodes to be like, okay, we did get those moments. But other than that, man, I love the the coming together of the, the Mandalorians. I love my own realization that, huh, the Mandalorian probably already is a... Uh, a, a um, a plural kind of thing I, I, I love that as well uh, but man I, I this is probably I don't know if least favorite is probably not the word I have to go back and watch them all again but it's a fine season of of the Mandalorian I still really like watching this TV show week to week I still really love hearing the title song it's something about it again that's like it feels like a I don't know like uh, every every a lot of good tv shows have a lot of good openings and i still really love that mandalorian opening man so overall i think i'll still miss it again i'll miss being like oh it's mando day or it's mandalorian day time to watch the mandalorian in terms of my weekly star wars intake uh, but overall it was a fine season uh i hope the next one is a little more focused um because yeah and, and not as jumpy we can get into some some more of this this nitty gritty, but until then, man, uh, I'm, it's still a show I enjoy, and I think they and I think they still have something with the Mandalorian, whether this 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 season was great or not. You know what I mean? I, I still think they have something here with these characters, so I hope they just continue to expand and give us some more uh, Star Wars that we enjoy. So yeah, we'll have to see.
0: Yeah, th- this is definitely my least favorite season, and and I sort of think that it's it's really because of. How much they're probably juggling at this moment, specifically Dave Filoni and maybe even Jon Favreau. I think sometimes when you expand out a world so much, when you have spinoffs and when you have this this overall grand vision of where you want to take multiple story arcs and multiple characters and and storylines. Um, sometimes those individual parts might suffer along the way. And I think that that's probably where we are right now. Whereas Mandalorian season one and two, those were kind of the only games in town when it came to star Wars on Disney plus specifically, they weren't tapping into Ahsoka just, Mm -hmm. just yet. They had just brought her back and introduced, introduced our character, reintroduced our character, Bo-Katan sort of the same Mm -hmm. thing. And, and and it's cool because characters like Bo-Katan and Ahsoka, I mean, we're paying off storylines that have been like, almost decades in the making now like if you started with those characters in the clone wars and you see them now like we're talking 16 17 years worth of storytelling that they're really Mm -hmm. starting to pay off and 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 it looks like they're going to do so in a bigger grander way with with a crossover event movie and that stuff is great but i do think that for the time being where we are right now because of that grand vision, because of all these disparate parts that have to be pulled together to make sense, I think that we lost a little bit of the magic that I experienced in those first two seasons. That's not to say it's bad. It had bad moments for sure, but there were some good moments still. There was some incredible action, incredible spectacle, some great world building, some great mythology, and, and some great education about the Mandalorian culture and how deep they go and all the different different factions and, and tribes that are part of a part of the Mandalorian and 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 some some bigger reveals as it relates to the antagonist and the villains of this particular era of the Star Wars timeline. So certainly stuff that I walk away from like I'm glad we got that. I'm glad that we got more clarity about that. I'm glad we got a chance to to peel back the curtain a little bit on this idea and hopefully they can pay it off later. But I do think that when you're juggling so much, it, it starts to affect what's right in front of us. And that's this 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 the season three that's immediate storyline that we that we're just watching on a week to week basis. And you know it's one of those. It's probably one of those necessary evils, you know, when when you do have something that's meant to lead to something bigger. I think we see it a lot with Marvel where the individual parts, it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, that didn't really come together how I want it to because they have to do all this setup and this exposition for what's going to come next. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you make those sacrifices in, in, in service of the grand vision. The hope and the wants is that the grand vision pays off, and and that's a satisfying conclusion to everything that we're watching. Because if it's not, then this is all kind of done in vain for nothing. So I do still have a lot of hope, and and certainly excited about everything that is to come. I cannot wait for Ahsoka. I think that that's gonna take things to another level because yeah. I think that that's where I think that's where all their focus is at right now. I think that that's why this season of the Mandalorian. Probably wasn't that great because Ahsoka Loki is gonna be great. That's where we're that's where we're putting all our energy and effort into it. We see it all the time with producers on TV. When they get when they build these empires and they have spin-offs and spin-offs and spin-offs, eventually the original show that kickstarted at all becomes terrible. It becomes like I don't even recognize this anymore and then the new spinoffs become like the new thing we might be going through mm-hmm. that with the mandalorian hopefully they don't allow it to be terrible but we'll have to see but folks those are all of our thoughts on season three of the star wars original series the mandalorian if you've checked out these most recent episodes definitely hit us up and let us know what you think